It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A PW Torch VIP membership doesn't just give you ad-free access to these shows and a ton of other VIP-exclusive podcasts throughout the week, but you also gain access to our unmatched, vast library of wrestling history, our contemporaneous week-to-week coverage through our Pro Wrestling Torch Weekly newsletters dating back to the late 1980s, along with streaming and download access to hundreds of retro radio shows from the 1990s, including some of my interviews with wrestling's top newsmakers in the 90s, and also our podcast library dating back to the year 2003. There's no larger, longer-spanning pro wrestling podcast library than that that comes with a PW Torch VIP membership, now approaching 20 years of podcasting. Go VIP and dive into our post-pay-per-view roundtables, our coverage of some of your favorite eras of wrestling, top-name long-form interviews, and special format podcasts that we've done throughout the years pwtorch.com slash govip. We have a streamlined sign-up form, and you can pay with PayPal or directly with your credit card or debit card in one or two minutes. From right now, you can be a VIP member and diving into our library, pwtorch.com slash govip. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I am such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, PW Torch proudly brings to you its podcast, Tag Team Champions of the World, Patrick Moynihan, Alex McDonald, the 90s Past Cast. How you doing, Patrick? I'm doing well, especially after that intro. Jeez, can you get my wife to introduce me like that? <laughs> functions and things or just like wake me up in the morning and, and, and do that that'd be awesome I thought you'd like that a little yeah different, right? it's great that's it's great good throwback not the error we're covering but still nonetheless I appreciate it I couldn't think of anything from the time period I tried <laughs> yeah there's really not many catchphrases back then unless you say like brother or dude or something like Hogan and I don't do like a good enough Jimmy Hart impression what would you I say just like baby now. Like That's baby, what I mean. yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, everybody, this is the '90s past cast. I am Alex McDonald, alongside Patrick Moynihan, and we are here today to discuss issue 215 for the week of February the 22nd, 1993. Kerry Von Erich has passed away via suicide. We have extensive coverage of that, as well as full coverage of Super Brawl three, but. Before we do all that, Patrick, I want to talk about something because did you know that our podcast has recently purchased some land? Whoa, do tell. Um, am I a landowner? You are. See, we just got a about an acre, it feels like. Oh. It is right inside the brain of Nick and Tom over <laughs> at Nick and Tom's Intercontinental Adventure. <laughs> Do tell. You're, you are so tuned into this that I'm learning this for the first time, and um, I'm eagerly awaiting the details. Yeah, I did this on purpose. So, um, so everybody knows I did not tell Patrick about this off the air. And Nick and Tom, Patrick doesn't listen to your show because he doesn't care. So there's that <laughs> also. <laughs> Um, shocker shocker anyway the other reason we're doing this at the start of the show is because unlike nick and tom i'm not going to save my grievances and make everybody sit through our show first like they do anyway (laughs) so we get to the end of their show and you know just humming along whatever and mr barbati decided to mention that he's very upset that nobody gave him a happy birthday and that we called him out and they responded and we didn't have, I don't know, the the decency to respond back. And Wait, if they us, didn't listen to our show, how, how do they know that? I, I assume he did. I think okay. he's very upset. Okay. But moral of the story is that Barbati actually threatened to not return to record the show for this week if he was not responded to whoa that just hurts his own fan base i'm aware jeez i'm i feel bad for the listeners out there so the bottom line is we we made our comment and brought it up and (laughs) they decided to have two diatribes in a row about us and This is my response. You guys want to do something on YouTube. You want to get together, figure something out. Come up with something we can debate that Patrick and I can be on one side of. Or Patrick, you had a good idea. Maybe we can do an ultimate style deal with the four of us. 
whatever you guys want, let us know, and we will work something out. The other funny part is that apparently they searched us out on Twitter to uh, antagonize us on Twitter, and they came up blank because we are not on Twitter. So that is also hilarious and fantastic. (laughs) Are we the definition of trolls because we literally, like, put something out there and just went completely cold on them? We just ghosted them flat out. Ooh, does does that make us trolls? Or I, I think to some degree. To some degree, yeah. Yeah, I thought we were just kind of the heels, but now yeah. I'm starting to wonder. Well, I do like the idea of meeting in the squared YouTube and uh, going that route. Uh, whether you know whatever whatever we end up doing, making it a four way dance, I think it's a it's a enticing offer, and I hope they can uh, you know see the enticement there. Well, they don't want to step into the ring with us because then they would see our vaunted finishing move. <laughs> what did we name that again? Oh, well, I have a very special name for it. It's called the kick in the balls and run away. <laughs> uh, yes, the runaway part. I remember well. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the moral of the story here. Because right, right. I'm pretty confident that's about all we would be able to come up with. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I appreciate you uh, giving me all the details uh, as we record our, our own podcast, this is very riveting for sure. I just think it's hilarious that he was very, very offended that we didn't uh, come back. That is, that is and, humorous. Yeah. And the, the best part, Barbati, since I know you're listening to this, I'm not making you wait till the end. Uh, your your comment about <clears throat> I said, oh, you're going to be hot and you made fun of me. Well, you are. So I was right. And I win. Moving on. <laughs> How are we going to transition that to Kerry Von Eric committing suicide? I just don't think there's a clean way to do that. Well, that's why we're having fun at the beginning of the show, because the now we have to here. get into very somber news. And since you brought it up, we will go right to that. The cover story, of course, Kerry Von Eric dead at the age of 33 years old. This is from Wade Keller. Thursday afternoon, February the 18th, at his father's ranch, Kerry Atkinson shot himself in the chest, ending his life. Atkinson, who wrestled as Kerry Von Erich, is the third of six brothers to commit suicide and the fifth to die. He was 33. Atkinson was charged, was indicted Wednesday on a cocaine possession charge. A warrant had been issued for his arrest. He was already on probation, which we've covered in the show, for a previous drug conviction. Faced with a prison sentence, a drug addiction, and the grief from the deaths of his brothers, he decided not to go on. Just to bring this up real quick for those unfamiliar, Jack Atkinson Jr. died of electrocution at age 7 in 1959. David, who was 25, died of a drug overdose in February of 1984. Michael died at age 23 in April of 1987 after overdosing on tranquilizers. The youngest, Chris, shot himself with a 9mm pistol in September 1991. Kevin, who was the second oldest of the six brothers, is the last survivor. And if I I could be misremembering this, but Kevin is still alive now. He is, yeah. He uh, yeah. he lives in Hawaii, and um, I know two of his sons are wrestlers, or maybe I don't know if they're his only sons, but his two sons are wrestlers. Um, they've been working for MLW for a number of years. 
so the lineage does does goes uh, live on. Uh, Jack Atkinson, uh, also known as Fritz von Eric, said, "I just can't say anything right now. I don't know what I would say." Kerry, uh, of course, held the NWA World Heavyweight Title for three weeks after he defeated Ric Flair at Texas Stadium, May 6, 1984, in front of 32,123 fans. It's a very famous show. Um, pretty much everybody on here has heard of it uh, or seen it. Is that is that on the network or Peacock? I don't know. I haven't looked. I, I haven't either. I don't know. Um, if I'm correct, I want to say that that was a memorial show yeah for david right i believe it was yep yep i believe it was of but, course um that would have been tied to there so that would have been tied to the wccw promotion i just don't know if they have that on there i know they have some stuff from world class um yeah. so i do wonder if that's on there they also have the world class documentary so it would stand a reason there's footage of this show on that documentary. Yeah, that's, that is a good documentary. There's also another documentary, not to go off topic, but um, I can't remember who put that together. I think it came out re- right before the WWE's version, and um, I'll have to look that up. It's it's a really good one. Unfortunately, for as sad as some of those are, they make the best documentaries. Yeah, I might. I remember when the Dark Side of the Ring came out um, on this, this family. My, my wife was watching it with me, and not a, a not a wrestling fan whatsoever. And she was uh, like just in shock of just the tragedy tragedy with this family. Just it's really uh, almost unfathomable to to digest what what you read this this headline and subhead on this article alone talking about. Um, the fifth of six brothers dead. And then I think, what did you say? The third by suicide. And, and not only that, but all of them, you know, we just, we just talked about it, but Carrie was actually the oldest when he died and he was only 33, 33. Yeah. Yeah. You and I were just talking about that off air. Um, just putting that into perspective, you know, I agree with you. I th- you had said uh, you thought he was at least what thirty eight or so, late late thirties. But I mean, to be thirty three years old, and uh, just to end it that way, I mean, no matter how old you are, to end it that way, but still, you know, how much more life he's had in front of him. Yeah, um, a little more on the actual death. He he actually drove out to Fritz's house and mentioned he wanted to drive around the property. Uh, his dad got a little worried when he didn't come back and found him uh, about a quarter mile north of the house uh, dead. Anyway, um, of course, probably most famously, other than the match we just talked about, Kerry and his brothers feuded with the fabulous three bir- Freebirds throughout the 1980s. The success of their feud led to the tremendous success for the Fritz von Erich-owned world-class championship wrestling, which was seen internationally through syndication in 66 markets in the United States and in Japan, Latin America, and the Middle East. Just to kind of put that in perspective, um, 
you know, things back then were not like they are now where everything's on a streaming service that you can get pretty much anywhere or even, you know, the advent of cable TV and and TBS and USA Network and all that kind of stuff that happened a little bit later. This was a very regional promotion that was broadcast nationally. And at the time, that was huge. You know, a small Texas-based promotion was basically what it was. But there were syndicates, you know, to your area in New Jersey and my sure. area yeah. in Florida. So it's just crazy that you would be able to see that from so <laughs> far away in an era where most of the time the TV that you got was probably within three to four hours of your house. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm looking this up just to confirm, but I'm pretty sure they were also somehow their TV got to Israel and they're still that Von Eric's name is still pretty big over there because of that. Just to think in the early 80s for that to be the case. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Daily Cast listeners. Thank you, first of all, for streaming the shows. Be sure you're subscribing. Just search PW Torch in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to pro wrestling podcasts. But while you're at it, if you're not yet, please subscribe to the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast and Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Post Shows. Search Wade Keller and see two logos pop up, a blue one and a red one. The red logo, the post shows, cover Raw and SmackDown each week with a fast turnaround time of a couple hours after the show's end. And also, every Saturday, we present a flashback to our analysis from five years ago that week, covering Raw. Jason Powell from ProWrestling.net joins me, and we analyze what happened on Raw five years ago. So check out that time capsule every weekend. The Blue Logo Show features the Thursday flagship, plus our first-run interviews, our classic interviews, and our mailbag segments. So again, search Wade Keller and click subscribe to both the Red Logo and the Blue Logo. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you think there is uh, another world or timeline where, you know, I guess two two things. One, the family and the brothers keep things together and um, live on. Um, you know, with a maybe a cleaner lifestyle where either that promotion becomes bigger than it was nationally or uh, are able to move into, you know, Vince's territory and be as successful for him as they were for his own father, their own father. Um, I think as individuals, they could have been. I don't know if you've ever heard this or not, but there was talk in the 80s that had. Vince not been able to secure Hogan that carry yeah. would have been um, another option. Obviously, I have heard that that didn't come to fruition as as far as them being an actual, you know, nationwide entity into and of themselves. I don't think that's the case. I think the best case scenario for them as a promotion would have been a merger with Crockett. Mm-hmm. Um, to, you know, kind of help Crockett out in that part of the country. But I think that was kind of the best they could have hoped for as a promotion. Yeah, I think there's a lot of what ifs in that one. And I think I think I'm probably in agreement with what, you know, the reality of my question where it could have ended up. Um, Sadly, I mean, David's death is really early on. I mean, in 83, he was the one that you know looking back a lot of people said was slated to become an nwa champion so that one's that was i mean they're all big losses but that was obviously the big loss from that perspective and kind of potentially derailing trajectory of uh where you know where that title could have landed you know in in that promotion or you know just in that family in general well and the other part too you bring up uh david it's it's possible that had that not happened in our timeline, he would be a major player right now. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. As you know, as we get into 93, um, maybe not, but based on the trajectory he was on at the time, that's definitely a possibility because he was, I'm pretty confident he was said to be the most talented of the group. That's what I've always heard too. Maybe not physically impressive, but um, compared to the other two, um, Kevin and Kerry, but it, you know, just here to what you just said, it'd be interesting. You know, you could certainly see him in this era of WCW, right? Yeah, for sure. Like a little bit older at this point, obviously, but still, I mean, WCW used a lot of older guys at this point. Um, I think probably the work rate is there to keep up with, um, you know, other guys in this promotion. I would imagine, you know, as a strong baby face, so just adding to that crop of baby faces that they have. Or even finding, you know, second life as a heel in WCW Maybe. coming yeah. over. Um, again, sad situation. Um, the judge who placed him on 10 years probation said that Kerry took the coward's way out, which is probably 
not the uh, nicest thing to say, given the circumstances, but that kind of is what it is. That struck me, too. I mean, that was pretty much the end of this uh, article by Wade. And man, what a way to sum things up. That's a shame for, for a judge to say that. As far as Carrie goes, um, also, you know, a WWF Intercontinental Champion. He was only champion for a little bit. And I don't know if you've heard this or not, but evidently a, a part of that title win was simply because he was a substitute. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't a long-term plan or anything like that. Do you think there's an alternate universe where he works out even with everything that happened before and after? I think if he had his head on straight and clean, which, you know, by all accounts was tough for him to do. Yes, I think that's potential because he had the look. I think he had to some degree. He had the charisma. He wasn't a good talker, but um, you can get around that in different ways. But I, I think for this era, the look more than anything was, you know, check the box easily for him. So I do think he I think in another universe, yeah, I think he could have. I think it all came down to his just, you know, his headspace. Yeah, unfortunately, and <clears throat> the stuff with the accident and his foot and that too, yeah. Everything do you, else. Do you recall, you know, generally speaking, when you found that out? Like, do you remember a time when you would see Kerry Von Eric wrestle and not realize he didn't have half of his foot? Um, most of my life, I didn't, <clears throat> you know, I rented WWF tapes and saw Texas Tornado and then learned of the legend of Kerry Von Eric later and and the Von Erics. And I don't I don't think I even knew about his foot until well later. Like I was probably in my 20s. OK, I was probably in my te- late teens. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess my point there is, you know, if you're not looking for it, you're not going to notice. I, I think it's well hidden. Um, if it's something you're looking for and you know about, then it probably is a little bit obvious. Maybe obvious might not be the right word, but it's more apparent. Um, but yeah, that's that always seems to be kind of like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that type moment for me when I when I hear that he wrestled in that state. Well, not only that, I mean, <clears throat> he he went to such lengths. Yeah. To hide it, you know, showering with boots on and all that other kind of stuff that you hear about. Like a lot of the boys didn't even know until where where was the incident where his boot came off? Yeah. Um, I don't know, actually. I don't know if it was down in like USWA or that, you know, down south. somewhere. I actually don't know, but I know I know what you're referencing. And that's the crazy part to me is that you have to imagine. I mean, maybe not. Maybe his friends were his brothers. And after mm-hmm. they passed, he didn't have any friends anymore. I don't know. But you would have to imagine that that he had friends in the business that would have known that. But evidently, that was not the case. Right. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, on the road, traveling with these people, you know, people literally day in and day out. And that being a well-kept secret for many, for most, maybe the majority. And well, and that's the thing, and especially in an era and a time period where and we talk about this a lot on the show, but, you know, the the tour buses of today were not a thing. No. Right. And and you're sharing hotel rooms, sometimes two, three guys. I mean, seven, if you're a 
cheap skate like Mick Foley or something, right? <laughs> hey, smart, smart guy, smart. Cheap oh, skater. super smart guy. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but you get the point, and and so you imagine he's rooming with somebody, right? And they don't know, and sure, just, sure. Because let's be honest, as we talk about with anything else, but in in the wrestling business, there's no secrets ever, right? Like so much so that they, when they want to make a splash, they hide guys in the back so wrestlers can't tell anybody because, right, right. You know, it's one of the biggest gossiping industries there is, but that's one of the reasons we love it, right? Oh, for sure. You can find out pretty much anything unless you try hard enough to. But, all right. Um, Really sad story. Do you have anything else on Carrie you want to talk about before we move on? No, not really. Um, We hit on a lot of things. I guess the only other thing, and, you know, just looking back to last week's issue, you know, we we took time to call out the fact that he did appear in uh, on, on a on a show. Uh, I think the prior issue to that, two thirteen, I believe it was, noted that he was missing shows and missing dates. So, the fact that he popped up um, just days before this went down is kind of the the last time he was in the ring. So, just one of the reasons we called it out last week. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. For the record, he also had a date scheduled for the following day. Okay, uh, so after the suicide? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He was scheduled somewhere for Friday the 19th. I think we're going to talk about that show, right? Um, The memorial in a little while. If it's the same event. Um, It may be, but I'm not 100% confident on that. Okay, yeah, I know it's the same date, but yeah, it could, could, could potentially not be. So moving on to the WWF. In a bout of poetic justice, the same week that Ric Flair returned to WCW, Hulk Hogan returned to the WWF on Monday Night Raw live. So I don't think this gets talked about too much, but this is like, is this happenstance or is this calculated? Whether it's oh, I think this is a complete coincidence. Do you think so? Because I, I yes. actually kind of agree. No one ever talks about the timing of this, but it is so well-timed. I assume it's a coincidence because otherwise we probably talk about, you know, the rumors and all the, the gossip you mentioned earlier. I mean, I think we, somebody would have mentioned this being purposely done by now. Yeah, no, there, there's no way it was on purpose. And the biggest reason I say that is because, you know, the Hogan thing was up in the air well before and after Flair agreed to return to WCW. On top of that, WWF wasn't doing live Raws every week. So let's just say for sake of argument that this Raw didn't happen to be live, this never would have happened. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's funny in a way that, you know, Hogan does get a lot of um, gruff, and I I think a lot of it's (laughs) worthy. Um, but it's just funny. No one's made the comment like, oh, Hog- here comes Hogan trying to just like slide right in when when Flair's gone and try to look like a hero coming back and being top dog again. But, you know, again, like I said, I think I think you're right. I think this is just happenstance. Well, Hogan vowed to return and team with Beefcake against Money, Inc. We are to assume this will be at WrestleMania nine. 
He also aligned himself with Jimmy Hart, who is now a face. Hart came out for his first babyface interview in the WWF and said for years he has been dying to wear the red and gold <laughs> of Oklahoma. Which is funny. That, that was awful. It's so corny. Sorry, go ahead. Well, it is co- it's corny for a couple of reasons. The first one being uh, red and gold. That's not true. A Hulk Hogan is red and yellow. Right, right. But the the other part of it is that it it could be a lot cornier though. Like, had he been like Bobby Heenan, who hated Hulk Hogan with every fiber of his being, and was like actively trying to take down Hogan for years, like Jimmy Hart didn't really do that. Like he was. I don't know about you, but like I always associate Jimmy Hart with tag teams more so than singles wrestlers besides Hogan. Yeah, I mean, I think the most yeah, besides Hogan, I think the most um, noteworthy singles guys he managed, you know, end up being Honky Tonk Man and um, the Mountie. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you're right. And, you know, yeah, I think and I guess Earthquake to that degree. Um, I if you really look at jimmy hart's at least wwf work he actually is a good manager he is he he's somebody who really sticks up for his people he's so in their corner no no pun intended if you equate him or compare him to bobby heenan you know he literally is a weasel he just tries to get you know everything out of somebody he just uses people really you know just looking at the whole thread and arc of those two managers like Jimmy Hart is the perfect fit for Hogan because you know he he's kind of he's he's kind of not a heel as much in his heel days because he's just such a good manager like he really cares about his people. Yeah, exactly. And we just ran down the list of a bunch of people he managed. Jimmy Hart really liked Canadians, huh? <laughs> he did. Yes. The Rougeaus. Dino Bravo, Earthquake, uh, we just the said the Heart Mountie, Foundation. the Heart Foundation. Wow. For a guy from Memphis or down south, at least. That's, that's that worked, pretty though. good. That's pretty good. Um, another thing not noted in this article, but I do remember this interview with Hogan. One, it's really kind of cool to go back and see Hogan on Raw in 93. I'm almost certain this is the only time he's on Raw in this era. Aside from like pre tapes or, you know, okay, I mean, yeah. in the arena. OK, got it. Um, the other thing is, do you recall when he's t- like making up the name for him and Beefcake and I guess Jimmy Hart? It's just no. so it, it's so um, scripted, but he makes it like come off, you know, as if it wasn't. He's like. Well, we're going to call ourselves the um, the um, the mega, the mega, the mega maniacs. Yeah, that's it. We're going to call ourselves the mega maniacs. Like, Do you think he um, just forgot? No, I think he was making it seem as if he was making it up on the spot, but it was just like so uh, it was bad. It was poor. For a, guy, for a guy in national movies, he's not a good actor. I was just about to say, are you insinuating Hulk Hogan couldn't act? The I just said it. The... Oscar winning performances he delivered in Mr. Nanny and Three Ninjas Strike Back begs to differ. <laughs> I don't know where those Oscars are, but uh, I haven't seen them. 
Give yourself a reason to look forward to going to the mailbox each week with a PW Torch newsletter paper copy subscription. Details at pwtorch.com slash paper copy. It's 12 pages every week packed with my TV reports along with exclusive features such as my cover story on the top story of the week, our pay-per-view roundtable reviews from the Torch staff, exclusive feature-length columns from Greg Parks, Rich Fan, Sean Radikin, Alan Cunahan, and Zach Hadorn, Torch Talk transcripts, the latest news, and more. pwtorch.com slash paper copy. Take a break from screen time and settle in every week with a mega dose of wrestling news and analysis with a Pro Wrestling Torch Newsletter paper copy edition in the year 2022. You can get a full year of home delivery for just $99. Or try us for an eight-week trial subscription. pwtorch.com slash paper copy. A, pre- a pre-taped interview with Hogan and Vince aired before the live segment. Uh, That's Hogan one Beast. thing I don't remember. Sorry to cut you off. I this is a, I don't remember this one. I think you're going to talk a little bit about it, but I don't recall this happening. Uh, see, I actually do remember this, so I'm surprised that you don't. Because yeah. I don't know if we've talked about this, but my least favorite Hogan is this version of him. Basically, basically since we started the show. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um through this summer is my least favorite Hogan. And there's a lot of people that say that continues into WCW. I actually don't mind 94 Hogan. Um, I, I hate him again, like in 95. Yes. Yes. But I don't mind 94 Hogan at all. So I don't consider this like 92 through Hollywood turn that a lot of people do just to throw that out there. No, I'm, I'm vigorously nodding along to what you just said. Um, but to this that, is the worst Hogan. And it's, it actually is funny, though. They didn't look at 92 Hogan and say, OK, I'm coming back. 92 Hogan was awful. It was booked. He was booked poorly. Let's try something different. They didn't learn from their mistakes in 92. Because they don't think they booked. They don't. No, uh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. They have no issues with that. Again, Bobby Heenan was right the whole time and nobody wanted to listen. <laughs> that is the greatest storyline thread and result, I think, in wrestling history. Bobby <laughs> Heenan was right the whole time. It really is. It's great. So Hogan, in his interview, the the reason I bring all that up is because this interview encapsulates a lot of what people did not like about him during this time period. That's where I was going with that. But he talks about the past of Hulkamania. And he says, when you're at the top of any field, any chosen profession, whether it be business or entertainment or sports entertainment, like Hulk was at the top for so many years. There are a lot of curious people who want to dig into your past and find out what you're all about. And they dug into Hulk Hogan's past. Big surprise. Hulk Hogan is a human being. He's saying all this in third person. This is not me. This is a direct quote. Hulk Hogan is not afraid to admit he's made mistakes on a personal level. I've made mistakes on a business level. I don't always make the right decisions. Uh, he doesn't believe that. And even on a peer pressure level, as I was growing up through the 60s, 70s and 80s, I made mistakes, too. Uh, he then mentions that his father told him not to do as he does, but to do what he says. And Hogan now wants everybody to do what he does 
as he strives to be a better role model. He brings up tabloid terrorists, which is a mm. terrible term, especially as it doesn't age well is the best way I could put it. Well, it might in a way it does in the sense that there's a lot of people, especially in politics, that are using similar terms. Oh, so for like sure. you can yeah. draw a direct line from Vince McMahon scripting that to where we are today. Well, Hogan also added uh, a fifth commandment. No, no, a demandment. He's demanding it to us, (laughs) which I actually had to look up. I I was going to give Vince credit for coming up with a good, like an actually good branded term. But that is a word. I didn't know. I I did not know that. (laughs) It's like, wow, Vince, that was a good one. But no, it's 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 a it's a word. And again, encapsulating everything that's wrong with Hogan, it is now say your prayers, eat your vitamins, train hard. There's a fourth one. I don't remember what it is. Drink your milk or something like that. And now the fifth one is believe in Hulk Hogan. Brutal, brutal. You know, do you remember our Royal Rumble uh, review a few weeks ago, how I was trying to describe like 93 just feels like a different era, like a clean, like new version of wrestling in a way. I, I remember I remember talking about like um just the bright colors and just things change and i think this is another element to that i think just hearing hulk hogan have an interview on raw at this point just kind of breaks the glass even further um into a new era in the sense that it's not a comic book it's not a cartoon anymore they're not living in their own world like things have broken out into the the real world or vice versa where um I think it just becomes less uh, shiny, right? It just becomes less um, perfect and, you know, perfectly produced um, into like a living comic book. But yeah, these this is another example to me, if I think hard about it, I guess you don't have to think too hard, where it just becomes um, less fun in a way because they're talking about real things and it's just like, "Eh, I don't want to think about that. But you have to in this era and. The walls are closing in on the uh, wrestling industry. I think this is another example. And it's funny you say that because <clears throat> you you mentioned it as less cartoon. And it's it's funny because you look at it now and it seems so cartoony with where we are now. So it's crazy to think that it was a departure from what was even more of a cartoon previously. Yeah, and that's that's fair. That's fair. It's kind of, kind of come full circle in a way. I think like I don't and I don't mean to say like they didn't they they had crazy gimmicks still too in 93, but it just became less like fun in a way and more painful, like doing the clown, even though I like the way uh, Matt Bourne did the gimmick, just the gimmick in general or even Papa Shango. Um, Yeah, just things worked less and less to that level. Yeah, and we should mention, too, a lot of the change was intentional. But, you know, you bring up Hogan on on Raw being like an odd thing, and it it is like they just did the 30th anniversary of Raw and and Hogan was there as one of the big, you know, legend hosts. And like I I saw that. I'm like, why? Hogan's not a Raw guy. Yeah. You think of Nitro more than Raw for him. 
Yeah. Like, Absolutely. If, you, if you really, really think about it, even even when he came back, they did the brand split and he got drafted to SmackDown. That's true. That's right. That's right. Like, yeah, he's if, not on many rolls. You're right. No. Like, if you really looked it up, I would bet money that he's on less than like 25 episodes. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That is amazing. Maybe they should call him back when they have a superstars reunion. <laughs> or like challenge. <laughs> but it's just and you're right. And that's the funny part is like he's more associated with Nitro. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, literally there from day one um, till most of the what did he just use like six months shy of it closing down? Uh, slightly more, but yeah. Yeah, and slightly that, more. Right. Okay. Yeah. Eight, eight or nine. Yeah. So, also on this episode of Raw, Bam Bam Bigelow defeated Scott Taylor. Uh, everybody knows him better as Scotty Too Hotty or Too Hot Scott Taylor. Uh, the Hogan interview that we just ran down aired. The Nasty Boys and Tatanka defeated Shawn Michaels and the Beverly Brothers. That is the strangest six-man tag I've ever read off. (laughs) Yeah, that's a weird one. Uh, Shawn Mooney interviewed fans outside the Manhattan Center who were excited about Hogan returning. Crush defeated Terry Taylor with a head vice. I'm sorry, Terry Taylor. So Taylor's already kind of jobbing his way out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't have they they brought him into job for sure. Yeah. Jimmy Hart's turn was replayed. Uh, Hogan did his live interview as he was joined by Beefcake and Jimmy Hart. Hogan posed with Beefcake. Uh, The Undertaker began a match against Skinner as Raw went off the air. Um, Since I just brought up Beefcake, I've had a question for you and I was waiting for the time to ask it. But I think now is as good a time as any. So. Beefcake has metal plates in his face, right? Yes. OK, Lex Luger has the metal plate in his arm, right? Mm-hmm. And Lex Luger used the plate in his arm to knock people out, right? Right. Why didn't Beefcake just headbutt everybody? Why wasn't that his gimmick? Not only that, you're right. Not only that, but then he wears a metal mask, and that's yeah. okay. That's what I mean. You're right. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah, he, it should have been a headbutt, big headbutt. That's all yeah, he has to wh- do. Why did they not do that? I, I don't know. Great question. He's a face. And, that's why. And the other part is, you're right. They make him wear a um. He wears a a metal mask, but. They make Luger wear a, a pad on his elbow. They don't right. make Beefcake a wear a pad, pad on his face. Not at all. He should actually, you know what? Beefcake needs to wear the 95 Undertaker uh, <laughs> ghost mask. That's what he needs to wear. What would have been great, too, <clears throat> is if Beefcake would just goad heels into punching him in the face, and then the heels hand would act like, act like he broke his hand <laughs> when he punched him. <laughs> that would be awesome. You know, speaking of Beefcake, too, isn't it amazing? He's already kind of he's already immediately taking a backseat. In this, I'm sorry, like, good, are you insinuating he should not? Oh, no, he absolutely should. But I mean, he was like the centerpiece of this 
and then of course Hogan comes in and it's like we you barely you just barely mentioned his name. We, now we're talking about him, but um Jimmy Hart's probably getting more play than he is. Well, I mean, Jimmy Hart's a slightly better crony, so he deserves it. He certainly is. Well, is he on camera yes. maybe? In real life, I no. think uh you think you think hmm. So in real life, is Jimmy Hart you're saying Jimmy Hart's a better crony? Yes, because Jimmy Hart actually did things for Hulk Hogan. Like he oh, actually okay. Like, so maybe we're defining crony differently because I'm thinking I'm probably thinking more of a hanger on. <laughs> oh, because beefcake mean, takes the cake there. Takes the beefcake. It. If if you're insinuating, or if you're if you're saying that beefcake is more useless, then yes, that's the answer. There you go. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I think it's the, the, how do you define crony? And there you go. That's that's how it, you get your answer. Uh, see, I think being a good crony is kind of underrated, though, because like if you look at Jimmy Hart, like he would make travel arrangements and stuff. Sure. That's sure a good yeah. little crony to have. He's like the Paul Ellering for Hulk Hogan. Yeah, or the Mr. Fuji for Yoko. <laughs> there you go. By the way, this is completely not related, but it's wrestling related. At least I'm watching um, as we, we do this in the background. I'm watching 87 Survivor Series. When Andre gets in the ring, one man gang is like almost just as tall as him. They're basically at eye level. It's very really? I was very thrown off by it. Wait a minute. Do you mean Akeem the African dream? Well, pre Akeem. But yes, Got the it. same man. I was I was very thrown off by this. It's a really good thing that he turned into Akeem before he teamed with Bossman, because Bossman would have had a lot of explaining to do if his tag team partner was a gang member. <laughs> what a great call out. Yes, I love that take. But it would have been actually pretty cool in from a, just like a um, just a heel perspective, like a correction officer heel, of course, teaming with this uh, this gangster. I don't know if he's a gangster, but a hoodlum, if you will. I, oh, I always thought the insinuation was that he was like the leader of a biker gang. Gang, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, biker gang, probably the best description. <clears throat> well, if he ever had a WrestleMania entrance, I, are you assuming, are you uh, insinuating he would be driving a, a motorcycle down to the ring? Well, he's not DOA or The Undertaker, so no. Okay, got it. He would have been an excellent member for Aces and Eights, though. <laughs> Can you imagine? What was that, like, oh, five? Oh, six. Oh, it was later than that. Was it later? I had already oh. given up on them by that point. Yeah. Bischoff was there. Oh, geez. Don't even want to know. Yeah. In 2012, NXT transitioned into the developmental system and ultimately the brand you see today. On the Torch VIP podcast, NXT Eight Years Back, we'll be taking a weekly look at this page in NXT's early history. Join Kelly Wells and me, Tom Stout, from PWT Talks NXT every Saturday as we go eight years back to the day to track NXT's rising talents and why they did or didn't work out exclusively for PW Torch VIP members. So a bunch of lawsuit news as we get back into WWF. The ultimate warrior lawsuit that we covered last week, or I, I guess we should say Jim Helwig. I don't think he's changed his name to a warrior yet. No, I don't think he has. Yeah. Uh, he filed a lawsuit against Vince for over $5 million. 
including a claim that McMahon owned him one million from SummerSlam, a substantial amount for house show payments due to him and punitive damages for unlawful termination. Um, I believe the house show amounts and some of the pay-per-view gross. I don't know if this is like a well-known thing. Maybe it is. Mm-hmm. And this kind of ties into something that happens with Jeff Jarrett in a few years, but it, it would take time back then for wrestlers to be paid out. So for example, you know, we have WrestleMania coming up and WrestleMania is the end of March or early April. You may not see a check for that until like June or July. Right. Right. Because the pay-per-view companies have to settle up. There's people that don't pay their bills right away. Blah, 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 blah. And by the time all of that happens, the money gets settled with the company. The company finds out how much they actually made. And then they decide what you made. You know, here we are four months down the road and you're getting your money. A lot of that happened with house shows also where they would be paid 60 to 90 days after the fact. So they're always kind of on a a back pay system, if you will. I guess that's the best way I can yeah, put that's it. Fair. Mm-hmm. But um, I do buy that. The only thing that I don't buy is that he was owed one million from SummerSlam. I'm assuming that's SummerSlam '92. I find it very hard to believe that Warrior's cut of that show was a million dollars. So that's exactly what I wanted to bring up too. <clears throat> Are you, so I don't know if you're aware. Is this? Do they know going in what their percentage will be? Not saying their their actual payout. <clears throat> But will would Warrior in theory know what the percentage he would get? Because my question is, where did the million dollars come from? Like, wh- why did he land on that? I mean, it's a nice round number, but I think you're asking the same question. Like, how did he even get to that number? Unless well, he knows what the percentage of his payout should be. Well, here's the problem. Um, I I can answer your question kind of, but it's hard because of the time period. So as we get later on, like if we were having the same conversation in 1998, I get Mm -hmm. you a little closer. The way that it's been explained to me is that after they knew the revenue, Jim Ross and Vince had a, a mathematical equation that is not known to any of us. Right. That determines how much you get based on how much publicity your match got and where sure. you were on the card. So for example, um, major publicity in that era goes to Steve Austin and undertaker, and they are in the main event. They obviously get the biggest portion. If you have Jeff Jarrett and X-Pac in the opener, but the match had a lot of promotion to the point where um, it was a quote unquote draw for the show even though they're in the opener, they may get more than, say, D'Lo Brown and Val Venus, who are higher up on the card, but the match wasn't promoted as much. Does that make any sense? No, it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. But that also adds to my question, like, what's that formula and why does Warrior assume the answer to that question is a million dollars? And exactly. And that's where you're dead on, because from what I know, they didn't determine that until after the fact, which we just described could take months. Right. So so here we are in February, back to SummerSlam of August. 
I think that the, at least the timing makes a little bit more sense. But again, where he's coming up with this value. The only real answer I have is, let's say, for sake of argument, that's what he got for SummerSlam 90 when he defended the title against Rick Rude. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, and or maybe that, a slight increase to whatever that was um, just with, you know, in, I say whatever inflation or it being a bigger show. Yeah. And the only reason I use that as a, the example is because that's the only other SummerSlam where he's in the title match. Right, right. Well, yeah. Well, actually, 91, he is in the main event. Technically, because there is no title match. So in theory, three years in a row, he's uh, in main events for SummerSlam. But in 91, isn't it a tag? It's a tag. It is a tag, yeah. So the the financials would be split four ways. That's why I'm using 90 as the example. I got it. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, But that's really my only answer. And, and at the end of the day, <clears throat> this is all a guess because I don't know who even would have been determining that payout in 1992 unless it's Vince or I, I hope not. But Bruce Pritchard, maybe. I don't maybe. know. Did he have that much power then? Maybe. Maybe. He, he. Yeah. After he came back, maybe. Because the the person who predated uh, Ross was J.J. Dillon, but he's not here yet. He's either. not here yet. Yeah. And it's not. I I would bet you money. It's not Pat Patterson. So I'm just I'm running out of people here. Right, even Jerry Jarrett's not anywhere near here yet. Yeah, it's like, just this another name that comes to mind. That's what I mean. Everybody yeah. that we know that had hands in that role don't work here yet. Right, right. Anyway, at the end of the day, I don't know how much of this Warrior actually gets. We'll continue to track that. Uh, the suit claim also says... There were claims made about human growth hormone and alleges an inconsistent steroid policy. McMahon has actually filed a lawsuit himself against Nails, Kevin Walkholtz, and the New York Post. McMahon claimed that Phil Mushnick of the New York Post was part of a mudslinging campaign to cause emotional and financial ruin to the company and McMahon. The suit says the Post and Mushnick falsely portrayed Titan Sports as an evil empire involved with organized crime and operated and staffed by sexual criminals, homosexual predators, and child molesters. McMahon's lawyer, Jerry McDivitt, says he is seeking millions, probably so he can pay the ultimate warrior. <laughs> so McMahon had me in his corner for like two seconds when I read, oh, he's suing Kevin Walkle. So like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm behind that. And then this New York Post, I'm like, no, OK, you lost me. Yeah, I'm with you, though, though I, it's interesting that the there's no details on the Walkle thing. But I, I mean, right, I right. make the assumption it's because we all know why he would sue. Sure, sure. <laughs> like it's yeah. clearly like defamation. You know what I mean? Yeah, that seems to be the most obvious one. And that, and again, again, on paper, by all accounts, rightfully so. I don't remember. I'm, I'm actually interested to see if we learn where that goes, because, again, I I mean, I think there's evidence to say that he has a case against Walkholtz. Uh, yeah, 
<laughs> I would say probably. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait till we get to talk about that. <laughs> uh, word is that the Fox special we talked about last week may be canceled. Again, we we talked about this and pretty much spoiled that that was going to be the case. Uh, the Steiners against the Head Shrinkers has officially been added to WrestleMania. So that card is coming to fruition a little bit more. And by the way, by the way, back to the nails thing. How many times, how many people do you think Vince's sued that has uh, appeared on his uh, wrestling magazine covers? Oh, because nails was just on it. I think it was like December of 92 or maybe even January 93. Do you think Bischoff was ever on a cover like after? The I don't know. Yeah, because I'm trying to think when did the uh, magazine. um, end? I don't know offhand. They ran after he was there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like who else? Who else did he sue that was on the cover? Did he ever sue the warrior? Because there's an, another one. Oh, a counter suit? Maybe. Think, like a counter suit? Yeah. What about Flair? Did he sue Flair? I don't know. I'm speculating. Yeah. I'm trying know. to. I'm trying to think if. I'm just trying to That's think. That's a heck of a trivia question. I got to tell you. That's a good one. Is it possible him and Hogan have had a suit over the years? Maybe. Nothing I mean, in mind, though. If we're going to talk about people that sued him, um, every member of the Hart family was probably on the cover at one point or another. <laughs> sure, uh, sure. Warrior, uh, Nails, um, also Bischoff. There's many more if we go. Yeah, it's easier going the opposite way. Yeah. <laughs> if if anyone knows or has some speculation, torchpasscast at gmail.com. All right. WCW news. Oh, speaking of the Bret Hart note you're talking about, I can't find the rest of it either. I looked for it for 10 minutes today. Oh, OK. OK. Just so everybody knows, there is a the start of a sentence from Bret Hart in this torch and the sentence trails off, but it never picks up again in the issue. So Patrick and I have both looked for it to give everyone the note about Bret Hart. <laughs> can I read it? Can I, can I just read it? Yeah, go ahead. It says, it says, and I just want everyone else to be as maddened by this as I am. Bret Hart has yet to ever be affiliated with or mentioned with. And that's where it ends. I want to know what he's yet to be affiliated with or mentioned with. We'll never know. We might know that. Maybe it'll be in next week's. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's like premature. WCW news. Uh, The February 27th television taping. Ric Flair returned with three women on his arm. Unfortunately, this is not like now where there are three women that work in NXT that will be major stars in like five years. Yeah, yeah. Where do you, honestly, um, where do you think they find these women? Is it like casting? Do you want like a real answer to that? No, I'm not trying to be crass. I, I really I really wonder or or maybe uh, the answer is crass. I don't know. I I would believe it is. You I would tell so? you they get these women at the exact same place. They got the Godfathers. Yeah, man, I don't know. I mean, it's Turner Network, so I'm I'm trying to think like they're at least thinking this, but you're right, it's WCW, so whatever. The only other possibility is they are actual um 
wives and girlfriends of wrestlers. That's Maybe. also a yeah. strong possibility. Or, yeah, like office management. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. That. What do you mean? Like interns or something? That's possible. No, like like you said, wives of wrestlers, but or, unless or wives of office. Oh, I got you. Know, you I got or, you. Or people yeah. that work in the office. They don't have to be wives of them. But yeah, that would stand to reason that those would be aside from local strip club. Those would be my guesses. Right, right. A WCW European tour starts on March 11th, which probably explains the signing of the British Bulldog, which we've talked about. Can't wait to talk about that debut. We didn't even talk. We didn't even note that we're going to be talking about Super Brawl yet, but I have some thoughts on that debut. Super Brawl is coming. Yes. Uh, I'll save it. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> Are you a nostalgic wrestling fan? Do you want to hear about shows you haven't seen in 10, 20, maybe even 30 years? Well, I have the show for you. I'm PWTorch.com contributor Frank Bettiani, and since December of 2020, I've hosted Pro Wrestling Then and Now. Together with a rotating chair of co-hosts, we go back and review old shows from top to bottom, talk about where the wrestlers were at the time, and compare what's taking place now to what took place then. You can hear this, along with other shows, as part of your PW Torch VIP membership, with exclusive podcast just for members compatible with the apple podcast app visit pwtorch.com slash go vip for details and sign up for them anyway eric bischoff was said to be very happy with super brawl he is said to have a lot of power backstage yeah that's the first time that we've heard we, we have heard that is getting power, but like that note, that's pretty ominous, right? Like that line. I mean, it, we're not there yet, but the guy does a good job. It, it is. He what does. It. Yeah. Early on, he certainly does. Michael By the way, Hayes, go I'm going to take another road, a side road. Uh, I might do this more and more every week. If, if you think this is interesting, just watch other wrestling while we're doing our show um, and comment on it, because there's an interesting thing in this main event for Survivor Series 87. The ultra rare show showing of Hogan and Rude in the ring together, but the even more rare pairing of Bam Bam and Rick Rude in the ring together. Bam Bam is way stranger. Right? Why? Where do they ever cross paths ever again? I wonder why they never did Rude and Hogan. So I know a little bit about that, and maybe there's more details that out there, but from what I understand, they do work together on, I assume, at multiple house shows. But there's one, I believe, I, th- I want to say it's like the Boston Gardens in 87, I think it is, and... I forget what exactly happens. Is it like a chair shot or something? Hogan just doesn't like working with him. So he kind of just he just stopped it. Not the match, but I mean, like he stopped working with him from there. I want to say it was like a chair shot that hurt him or something. Oh, I I would have made the assumption it's because Rude would have made him look bad in more ways than one. Well, that that's that's potentially another reason, honestly. But I think the story goes and somebody can feel free to obviously correct me, but I feel like it was like a chair shot that stiffed him a little too hard. Oh, poor Hogan. Poor Hogan. But on paper, you would think to your question, like you would think that would be a money feud. Like we see him and Warrior go at it a lot. 
And that actually goes over well, but Hogan and Rude too would have been would have been nice. The other closest you get on pay-per-view actually is outside of 87 Survivor Series is Rumble 90. There's a brief a Hogan and Rude are in the ring together. Oh, yeah, before. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's a good rumble, by the way. That Oh, that's my favorite. Underrated. Rumble. Yeah. The crowd's great in that one, too. So uh, moving on, Michael Hayes hosted Weekend TV from a bar, and they taped reactions from multiple people there about their, their thoughts on Super Brawl. I don't get why AEW does not do that now. Which which part? Going to a local bar or something like they don't like they have such this like like cult fan following Mm. and they're on TNT, which shows people like filtering into the stadium for the NBA all the time. That's a great call. Yeah. Like, why don't they take advantage of it? Because like I went to a show like I don't care. But the people that were there are like super into it and Mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. all being smarky smart and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Why don't they capture that? That's a great call out. They they don't even do one thing that I like the WWE doing and they've done for years is just showing the outside view of the arena. Like just the city of you or just like the fact that this doesn't exist in this little arena. It's like part of this bigger you know city environment. Um, they did that like once a few weeks ago on Dynamite, and I was like, wow, okay, maybe we're going to start seeing this. But to your point about this specifically, and I call it out in our notes, I thought this, I don't know how it came off in TV. I think this is a great idea. I didn't even equate it to current day AEW, but I like the idea of it, and I'm kind of surprised WCW did this. Because, again, on paper, it sounds really new and uh, new and unique. So I'm all for that. I'm all for it for then. And then, of course, to your point now, I think that's a great idea. I mean, to your to what you're getting at for the AW fan base. I mean, they're the quote unquote pro wrestling fans. And I think there's a lot of passion there um, that should be, you know, should pop off their their TV a little bit better. Yeah, completely agree. Vader recently signed a per date contract with UWFI in Japan for $200,000 for eight shows over the next 12 months and a $50,000 signing bonus. This is one of the biggest contracts at the time period for a per date basis. Yeah, it's a hell of a contract. That was a uh, promotion relatively short lived. I don't know too much about it, but it was like a semi shoot promotion where the matches were um, still booked and everything, but they were, you know, they came off as if they were realistic. Like rigged UFC? Kind of, but it was still in a wrestling ring. Got it. I don't think, I'm trying to think, I don't think they had any weird environment. I think it was pretty standard. The New Deal gives him big time leverage in a New Deal with WCW, but could spell for, could spell the end of his title run. We're going to talk a lot more about WCW later, so we'll move on. Von Erich Memorial Show. Kevin Von Erich told people not to go because they were exploiting his brother's death. 3,000 people went anyway. The memorial occurred on Friday, 
February the 19th, one day after his death. Is that not amazing? I found that I found that to be really amazing. And and maybe this goes back to what you said before, where there was a lot of people like this show was already slated for anyway, and it ended up being a memorial. So maybe it was easier to just get the word out kind of thing. Um, but to have this happen, he, he what died midday the day before. And the oh, night yeah. after 3000 people show up already. It makes you wonder how many people already had tickets. Right, but, right. That's what I'm not sure about. But no, for sure. It's a, it's a great turnaround. And it's it, it sounds silly, but it's a good idea to pad your show. Um, Kevin yeah. may be right because it is somewhat of an exploitation, but I don't know how much you can blame them for trying. Yeah, and actually, I don't want to like belabor this point, but just to make a point on that, like, didn't Kevin's own father do that for when David died? I mean, we just talked about that Texas Stadium show that was a memorial for David. Yeah, but that was three months after the fact, not the next day. That's fair. That's fair. But again, like <laughs> he did the same thing. He he uh, made money off of that. Yeah. Uh, the you're, show you're right. It's it's that yeah, time. Time does make things a little bit differently. Yeah. The show's over with uh, 45 minutes of eulogies by gentlemen Chris Adams and Terry Gibbs, among others. Entertainment Tonight was there. The official funeral took place on Monday at 11 a.m. at First Baptist Church in Dallas. All right, Patrick, anything else before we get into Super Brawl 3 here? I don't think so. I think we're ready to rock here. So... I didn't bring it up at the beginning of the show because we had to do our unfortunate diatribe on the Nick and Tom situation that continues to escalate through no fault of the PW Torch 90s past cast I would like to bring up. Anyway, we are not going to do trivia today, and we have decided that on pay-per-view review weeks, we are not going to do trivia just in the interest of time. We will return with trivia next week at the top of the show and it's regularly scheduled slot with my turn as I look to increase my lead over Patrick. Yeah, but I have closed the gap. You're one and a half points above at the moment. But yeah, shout out to Dennis as always. We have a uh, an email in our inbox waiting for next week. So we appreciate that, Dennis, and we'll get to that for sure next week. And as we've, you know, sidebar topic quite a bit here tonight, if anybody has any questions for us or something you'd like us to cover, even if it's not necessarily 93, uh, torchpasscastgmail.com. Yeah, if there's any thoughts on the 87 Survivor Series, pass them out. Are there any, like, crazy interesting teams on that show? Yeah, I mean, I think just the fact that they have the five on five tag teams, which is like 20 guys like that's awesome. That that was just a spectacle. Um, the the interesting one, the one I'm watching now, the main event, uh, it's almost over, but they had Hogan and Orndorff on the same team, which, you know, this is 87. So, like, it's not that far removed from them feuding. And then earlier in the night. The same year of the WrestleMania three Savage Steamboat match, they're on the same team. 
Oh, that actually makes more sense than you think because Macho turned face. He does, but still, he also tried to, like, destroy Ricky Steamboat's larynx, you know? Ricky's a forgiving guy. He is. True babyface. And One Man Gang is currently climbing to the top rope, and he does a top rope splash, but but Bam Bam moves. So there we are. See, that's interesting. Bam Bam and One Man Gang. That's true. Yeah, that's true. You don't see... I don't think they overlap either. Much, much anyway. I think... Do they wrestle each other at um, WrestleMania 4? Are they... I know they're in the tournament together, but... That could be a first-round match. Oh, I'd have to look at that. I can't recall offhand. I think I've only sat through that show twice. It's a long one. There's a reason why there's two cassettes in the... uh, VHS release. Speaking of um, that show and the main event, uh, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, is actually doing an event in my area on Sunday. Oh, really? Close yeah. enough for you to go? Yeah, there? literally, literally right down the street. I have to That's work, awesome. so I don't know if I'm going to make it. But um, my my wife was talking about going with a friend of hers, so I'm curious if they'll get to meet uh, the Million Dollar Man. Speaking of lawsuits, you should have her ask him about his. <laughs> See how that goes over. Oh, I don't think that'll go very well. I don't think so. <laughs> oh. On to Super Brawl. So. I'm going to let you kind of do the beginning here. Um, as far as the atmosphere and all that kind of stuff, that's your calling card. So I'll let sure, you take sure. it away. Yeah, so we kick things off, interestingly enough, with a clip uh, package of a recent Saturday Night Main event um, showing Vader attacking Sting. I think there were a few others in the ring, too. But Sting was being attacked with the uh, the rope, the um, what are they called? It was the strap, rather. Um, That ends up being the reason why they're they're having a strap match tonight. I like that. It was different. It was um, unique. Um, It was. I, th- I thought it made the main event feel a little bit bigger because you're getting right to the meat of like why we're all here, right? Uh, makes that 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 match the the big the big event. Uh, then we cut to Johnny B. Bad coming out. Um, if you recall, those that are watching along with us or just know in this era of WCW, for some reason they and actually this lasted a long time. Um, they would have your normal commentary team by the ring. And then they'd also have other commentators on like the Gene Oak Mean Gene stage by the entrance. So Johnny B. Bad comes out, joins Eric Bischoff, um, and he's wearing a sailor costume. So I guess he's Johnny B. Sailor tonight. Uh, yeah. That was really strange. I feel like did he wear this before or is, am I just misremembering? He he's done different. Like odd costumes, but I do not recall the sailor. He really he did a good job with this gimmick, whether you like it or not. I think it's a little too hokey, but he he got into it at least, you know. No, I love Johnny B. Bad. Yeah, Um, I that's again, we've talked about him probably more than I ever expected on this show. But I always liked the Johnny B. Bad character and the best is yet to come with him. Um, We're a little bit away from it. But as we get into Diamond Dallas page, there's some good stuff with Johnny B. Bad coming up. Yeah, I agree. The best is certainly yet to come. Um, Missy Hyatt's also there as well on the stage with them. 
You don't have to wait for the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Post Show to find out what I thought of Monday Night Raw and SmackDown each week. You can check out my reports that are updated live throughout Raw and SmackDown at pwtorch.com. My written report will tell you what's happening in detail in case you missed the show. And it'll also analyze key segments and give my random thoughts and quips on what I am watching as it airs. So check it out every Monday night and Tuesday night at pwtorch.com. That also applies to WWE pay-per-views. I cover those live at pwtorch.com with a detailed written report with star ratings. And of course, you can find other TV reports from other contributors to PW Torch, such as NXT, ROH Impact Wrestling, and more. Check it out, pwtorch.com, your first stop for TV and pay-per-view written reports. Um, so the funny thing here, when I saw Bischoff there, I just thought like all this power that he has and he still can't get the main commentary gig. I guess that's coming though. At some point, (laughs) um, the, the weird, I mean, the, the other weird thing was Max Payne, who I, you correct me if I'm wrong. I am pretty sure we haven't heard his name maybe at all. If, if I, I don't think he's popped up yet. Has he? No, this is the first time. So not only is this the first time then he's playing the anthem here. He pops up again later in the show and plays again. And then he will talk about why, but he's in one of the title matches on the show as well. So this guy's all over this pay-per-view. Um, I'll save my thoughts on him in general um, or more detail actually uh, later. But the thing in this, at this part of it, like why he is a heel. Why would you have a heel playing the national anthem because WCW right talented or not whatever but like you're trying to get this guy over as a heel and you don't put him in that spot um from the arena perspective I thought it was lit a little bit better than um more recent shows although they're still using the two different entrances entrances for faces and heels um it doesn't bother me with AEW to be honest but this one just seems awkward because you're actually splitting the audience too AEW has like its own stage, so it's it feels it just doesn't feel as choppy. Um, the arena did look pretty sold out, though. I don't know if it was just good camera work, but it felt like it was pretty full. And then last thing before we get into the matches, from my perspective, this was really fun to see Tony and Jesse on commentary again. It felt like they really jive well together. I think they got along really well, too, from what I have heard. And uh, this kind of made it feel like, like you said, Rumble 90, actually, they did that show together. So to me, that that made me feel like it was back there. Um, And then the last thought for Tony, do you think this is like his unofficial start of his primary announcing gig? Yeah, Jim Ross is now out of the picture. Yeah, this is definitely it for, you know, the better part of the next eight years or so. Yeah. And it's it's funny you bring that up because. My first note was, first of all, Ventura mentioned that he started at Super Brawl 2. So it's crazy to me that Ventura has been here for a year. It does not feel like it's been that long. Agree. Wow. That flew fast. But I was really happy to have Shivani. Um, The thing with him, and and this is not a knock on Jim Ross, I think it's more... I think it's more a testament to to my age and and the time period that I grew up watching wrestling. But Tony Schiavone just feels like WCW to me. 
So when I'm watching a WCW pay-per-view, that's who I expect to hear. So I was pretty happy that that's who it was. Yeah, and he's still in the era of um, he definitely wears on it on you later in the decade, but he's he's not at that point whatsoever at this point. No, th- from here through about 98, I think he's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you brought up Max Payne playing the national anthem. My only note on that for now is great. Now we have Max Payne and Van Hammer. Why? Oh, I didn't even think about that part, too. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. And they didn't even feud. (laughs) Nor were they in a band together. (laughs) Right, right. That would have actually been a fun storyline. They're in a band together, but one's a face and one's a heel. How How does the world survive? And then the band breaks up because one of them gets a solo career. Right. It's it's also funny that off air we were I was explaining Rick Boogs to you and we have all this on this show. That's true. Um, that's true. He's kind of like a mix between the two in a weird way. Not a hundred percent, but like yeah. to some degree. Yeah. I'm seeing visually. I don't I don't know. I don't know him much. No, he, but. He's not significantly better than either one of them in the ring. It's not no, that big. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, going back to our great storyline, so Van Hammer's the face and um, Max Payne's the heel, but Max Payne gets a solo gig, like a contract, turns baby face because everyone loves him, and then Van Hammer turns heel on him, so they like do a double turn. <laughs> Inside of a cage. <laughs> yeah, it writes itself. And then Rick Boos can come out from underneath the cage, like underneath the ring, and like drag one of them down at like... Uh, Undertaker did uh, Diesel in 96. <laughs> that, I don't know. It's a shame I don't know that where that's going. let but. Diesel do what he wanted with his hair coming up all white. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. First match on the card is the Hollywood Blondes, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Sorry, sorry, have it. Stunning Steve Austin <laughs> and flying Brian Pillman. And they defeat Eric Watts and Marcus Alexander Bagwell, who's not quite buff yet. Um, My first note on this is when they come out, Austin actually does the camera rolling motion. I'm going to say this is the first time for that. And they also finally now have matching tights, which is really cool. Um, the ring jackets still don't match. They haven't gone the full way yet, but they are wearing matching black trunks with stars on the back. Yeah, that was my first note, too. Um, I said, look who has matching tights. I think it was like red stars, which I think just popped really nicely with the with the black. Um, did you have any notes or should you, would you like me to go through some of mine? No, you go first. I thought this was a fine opener. Um, one thing that was interesting to me, even though Eric Watts is in this, by the way, um, is is it me or is Bagwell also another guy that seems to have disappeared during this Watts era? Oh, no, for you're good or bad, I, right? When, when he showed up, I was like, wait a minute, he still works here. And then I realized, of course, he does because he works here for forever. But I, I really had to think about it for a second. Like if something happened to him that we covered or didn't cover or whatever, because I don't remember the last time we saw him. Right. Yeah. I'm sure he's on their TV, but we don't follow that 
that close. Um, I thought all four guys worked hard. You know, Watt should have been gone with his father, though. Pretty easy to, to say. I don't think he he like he didn't do anything in the ring that was embarrassing. He just doesn't look the part. He really doesn't. He doesn't work the part either. Um, but you know, to his credit, I think he was working hard. Um, I loved Pillman. At some at one point, he um he has the STF put on him by Watts. He sold it really well, especially after the after the move. He kept selling it, so he was still trying to do his best to put this guy over. Um, while that was happening, Austin was calling time out from the apron, which is just so great <laughs> as if that that's a thing. Um, yeah, so that's it. I mean, good opener. And uh, as we're, as you're saying, the start of something great with Austin Pillman. The only thing I had, uh, first of all, and I probably should have covered this off the top, but there were huge boos for the baby faces when they came out. I think it was more directed toward Eric Watts. But I don't think they super like Alexander Bagwell either. Um, the match itself was fine. Austin and Pillman, though, did a great job of making Watson Bagwell look serviceable and better than they really are. On top of all that, and this is why I bring up the booze before, Austin and Pillman were heelish enough to get the fans on the side of the faces for the hot tag and near falls as the match went on. Mm, good call out, yeah. So, again, obviously, I I fully admit to being completely biased here. But with that said, that's really the story here. And unfortunately for as solid as this was, you kind of wish Austin and Pillman had better opponents who they didn't basically have to carry to a two star match Um, because the last show we covered, I think I think you like Sting and Vader better. But we both had Sting Invader and then Pillman and Austin against Steamboat and Douglas as our top two matches on the show, just Mm -hmm. in opposite order. So it's kind of a shame that they went from that to just kind of a serviceable opener. Yeah, it is a shame. I mean, it's good to know where they're going, at least. So this doesn't count against them. But I think your call outs as far as them making Watts and Bagwell look better than they were here um i i think that goes a long way after this missy hyatt is in the parking lot next to a white <clears throat> limousine i would like to tell everybody missy hyatt is the most annoying person on wcw television and possibly in the wrestling business in 1993 <laughs> uh, i love there are certain threads on our podcast that just pop me all the time, and this is one of them. Like, your hate for Marty Jannetty is another one. But the Missy Hyatt thread from the beginning, a year ago, you called this out quickly and, and early on. So I just want to call that out. I appreciate that. Did you catch the line? Uh, so <clears throat> I should set the stage better than this before I ask you the question. But she's getting frisked by the security um, I also should mention that we already know that this is probably Ric Flair because Bischoff mentioned it earlier. Um, right. Anyway. That's, that's true. That's a good point. Anyway, she's being frisked by security. And did you catch the line from her about being kissed? No, I probably did, but I don't recall it offhand. So she she's up against the car and and they're like patting her down kind of yeah. deal. 
And she turns to one of the security guards and says, oh, usually I'm being kissed when this is happening to me. Oh, my God. And it's like, I don't recall that. What? What? My God. Do you think that was ad libbed or what? I mean, I'm going to guess it was. I I assume. I I mean, I assume. (laughs) Yeah, I, I assume, too, just because the era that they're in, they probably didn't over script that. Um, Flair exits the limo. Hyatt tries to interview him. Flair blows her off because why would he allow himself to be interviewed by Missy Hyatt? Uh, anyway, that's, that's the right question. You're right. You're right. Do you think this was necessary? Like, did they should they have done this? Or should he just been announced to the crowd? I I liked it because I really enjoyed. So. Again, there's like, I don't know, a dozen security guards or so. And after Flair exits the limo, he walks off and past stupid Missy Hyatt with the dozen <laughs> security guards. And um, yeah. anyway, I liked that part because I thought it made him seem like a big deal mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. there's like all these people ushering him into the arena. You know what I mean? Yes, that I agree with. Yeah, and it is actually to uh it's it's before the overplayed limo arrivals in wrestling so correct yes so from that standpoint um i i really like it i get what you're saying that that maybe he should have just been announced to the crowd but we also don't know and and i'm sure there's somebody that does know but we don't know if this even was played to the crowd there so it may not have mattered if you attended the show. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I don't know. Do they have screens set up? That's what I'm saying. To your point? Yeah, I don't think they I, did. Yeah, I don't think so either. So it does stand to reason that it's it's not a it's not a hindrance on what they want to do in the arena because sure. it's, it's not played to them. Yeah. Again, yeah. that could be wrong. It's just a total guess. You can support us on Patreon and get these shows with ads and plugs removed. The Wade Keller Processing Podcast, Wade Keller Processing Post Shows, and the PW Torch Daily Cast throughout the week with ads and plugs removed, plus a few bonus VIP shows throughout the month for just $4.99 a month. Check it out, patreon.com slash PWTorchVIP. That's patreon.com slash PWTorchVIP. And you can also upgrade to other tiers and receive even more benefits through Patreon. The next match on the card, Two Cold Scorpio defeats Chris Benoit right before the time limit draw. I'm going to let you start first because uh, I have a short note, but go ahead. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, this is going to be my thought on any Benoit match. They're just hard to watch. I haven't gone back to watch many. I'm just glad he's gone again soon for a few years. Um, That said, Focusing on the actual match, this feels like an unearthed gem in some ways. It's not like this great classic where you have to go out of your way to watch it, but I just feel like Scorpio was really getting over in this early era and was so unique to this company and maybe the business and kind of before his time in a way. Uh, so I think it's worth your your uh, your time to go out and just watch it. I, they, they probably work a little bit too much groundwork than I liked. Um versus you know kind of high flying moves so you don't get a ton of that um 
It's so ironic, though, this even though these guys are bigger than the light heavyweight division for their time, they probably would have been in the light heavyweight division. And it just feels like now that that title's gone, that division's actually gotten better. So the irony was not lost on me on that one. Um, the only thing here, it really didn't have a feud like the, unless there was something we lost in translation, not watching TV. I don't think there's much of a feud storyline here. Um, and then lastly, Scorpio, again, going back to him, he was so over. He was over with this crowd. Um, not like main event level over, but like people really were into his new fresh move set. And it was really great for the for the time, be, you know, for the time period. To your note about there not being a storyline, I don't think there is one because I think on a technicality, they're both faces. Um, yeah. Benoit does subtly work as a heel. Um, which is which is interesting and shows how good he actually was, um, especially at this point because he's super young. It's funny to think though when you watch this match where both of these guys are five years from now and ten years from now, because you would make the assumption they'd be on equal footing, and that is mm-hmm. just so far from the case. Um, yeah. yeah, when we get that far into the future. I don't know enough about Scorpio on the personal level, like if he was held back by his own doing or if it was just like the way other people held him back. But I'm curious, like it's a shame to your point, like it's a shame he didn't kind of get to that same level. Yeah, and I mean, it. it's funny you bring that up because both of these guys faced a great deal of adversity and this is not a knock on, on Scorpio at all, but he just may not have had the perseverance that Benoit did. And we've, we've seen this before where guys don't get a push and they're working their hardest and things don't work out and they just kind of give up. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Benoit didn't really do that. He, he waited a lot longer than a lot of people would have for his shot. So it's, it's a hard thing to say because both of them face so much adversity. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Yeah. As far as the actual deal goes, um, I actually agree with you about the ground stuff that comes up a little bit. And I'll bring it up when we do um, the tag match in a couple of matches, because Wade has a note in the torch that will lend itself to both of those. And that point that you made. But I thought the match was really good. It's it's cool to see this style in 93. Also, to your point about the moveset of Scorpio and it's so clear in this time period that this is where things are going. And we continue to see similarities to this style today. Um, If you watch a Seth Rollins match, it's so clear that he was a fan of wrestling like this Mm -hmm. when he was a kid. And that's what you get. Um, He's just my go-to example for stuff like this. But I mean, this, this kind of deal is basically commonplace for, TV matches on AEW every week now. Like this style is just so assimilated into what we're used to. Whereas in 93, it was so fresh and different. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And again, I, I know it's it's an uncomfortable situation, but this is another example of why they should have signed Benoit um, and, and rolled with him a little bit, even if it's in like a TV title scenario. Same thing with Scorpio. Um, they they really could have had a couple guys they could have built up, and maybe in two years you have 
you know, something you could do with them. That's a little bit more, but anyway, the finish is really, really good. Instead of doing the draw, the match actually wasn't a full 20 minutes. It was like 18 and a half, but they play up that they're about to go to a draw and, um, Scorpio rolls him up with 19 minutes and 59 seconds on the clock. Um, I'm thinking a little bit about your comment about them being like in the TV title hunt, which I think is makes a lot of sense. And wouldn't it be cool if before they were horsemen together, like because he's so associated with the TV title, you'd see an, a young Benoit versus Arn Anderson. I know. Like a yeah, feud. I agree. I agree. That would be awesome. And that's kind of the thing here is we this continues with WCW, but so much of their upper card is is older guys. And that's even the case on on shows this early. You do have some exceptions, but they're always kind of like full of of older guys whose prime was a few years ago. But their undercards always have really young, exciting talent that Mm -hmm. just the book on them is they never end up being anything there. And I mean, look at this show, Two Cold Scorpio, Brian Pillman, Chris Benoit, Steve Austin, Buff Bagwell. You know, you you have all that here. And then later you have the Barry Windhams of the world, and that's fine. But you would have liked to have seen them put some equity into these young guys and had them feud with people like you mentioned like an Arn Anderson and maybe get one up on them so that in a year or two, they have some equity built up. Right. Absolutely. It's a a good point. Yeah. The next match on the card, the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith makes his WCW debut with a win over wild Bill Irwin. Go ahead, Patrick. (laughs) So this doesn't go long, but it goes too long. Uh, he gets Bulldog. <laughs> Bulldog gets a good reaction when he comes out. Um, I was surprised it wasn't sustained, though. <clears throat> um, I did dig. He had some new tights. He has tassels on the sites, too, which is a nice new 93 edition because he doesn't have that in WWF at that point. Um, right before he left. Uh, Wade talks about him being out of shape. I actually would disagree. I thought he was in better shape, certainly, than he was for that SummerSlam 92 match. I'm not saying this is not the best shape he's ever been in, but I think he's actually looks perfectly fine here. Um, So I would disagree a little bit. So my point about the length, it lasted like over five minutes. It should have been two minutes max. I have a big problem with this. You come in, you know, big. This is a big free agent signing. He's coming off a big title uh, win, IC title win in WWF. you come in here, you haven't beat this like Bill Irwin, who's not even a contracted wrestler in WCW. Just haven't beat him up so bad. I would have had him beat him up so bad that Irwin walked away thinking he was a hockey player and then he'd show up in 1996 WWF. Um, <laughs> um, then we get a Bulldog post match interview where he just fumbles it right out of the gate. Like he can't even say world championship title or something. Like he's talking about a title match basically. And he just like reverses the words. So he just fumbles it completely. So it's like he gets this big pay per view debut. Uh, for whatever reason, can't beat the guy in less than like two minutes. And then a post match promo, which is awesome. Like what a great opportunity. And then he just fumbles that. Um, and then I felt this was a little too obvious. He calls out Vader as if he wants the title from Vader, 
which again, like you could read, I'm reading a little bit too into this, but it felt a little obvious to me that it meant that Vader was going to retain later because otherwise, why would you have a top baby face challenge a heel? Um, that's no longer the champion, you know, potentially later that night. So that, that was just my big takeaway there. Interesting. You brought up that second part and it's interesting because you didn't catch that. It's not a title match. Oh, it's not. Yeah, I, I know. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Well, that, that that makes me even more WCW with this, because what what are we doing here? I know we're going to talk about that later. But so. First of all, you you brought it up, so I'll stick with it. Um, Wild Bill, I like the goon better, first of all. Second of all, this really, really hurts kayfabe because WWF told me this is when he was playing hockey <laughs> yeah that's fair yeah <laughs> um also you he mentioned was playing that, hockey in the texas league what on it on the weekend oh well no, yeah after he was yeah after the rodeo was over <laughs> <laughs> what don't you understand about this we we read about him in one of the territories. I wish I could remember which one it was because he is working full time for somebody. Somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Dallas somewhere in Dallas. Possibly. Yeah. Um, or, or, or for uh, Jerry. Anyway. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Um, I had the same note that the match was too long. I do have a thought on that, though. So do you think it's possible that it was longer because of Irwin coming in? Like he would have said no. Had it been a, a minute and a half, two minute squash. So I hadn't thought about that. That could be the case. But if that is the case, then just go to somebody else. Yeah. The, you know, my literal note after that is it shouldn't matter. They should have got somebody else. It's just a thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even if you had a Saturday night, uh, a Saturday night's level jobber, like, I don't know if I care. It's fine. No, it doesn't matter. You know, this. In this circumstance, it doesn't matter. Yeah. The the other part that I don't like, um, first of all, I don't like Bulldog's music. I don't know if you noticed that. He has like some generic, weird, like rock song. Yeah, like, that's he's got to have the either, you know, the same music, which they if they can't do fine, but something to that effect. But why didn't, why didn't they even go with like um, like british punk band or something like i would have been fine with that yeah maybe maybe but but like the weird guns and roses ripoff vibe just doesn't work for him Mm -mm. uh anyway the only other thing i had and it goes to the the promo that he flubbed that you brought up but why does he deserve a title match after he beat bill Irwin? like why why do they have to do this right away and i get that you brought the guy in and you want to push him as a star or whatever, but it does hurt the perception of your company when the guy who just lost the intercontinental title to a fresh Shawn Michaels is coming in and immediately being able to challenge for your world title. It makes yeah. you no, you're right. That's exactly. I mean, other promotions have done this in error, like TNA, right? Some to some degree, maybe AEW, but maybe not as drastically. Um, but you're right on. And actually, didn't did Wade not have a below the bottom line about this not terribly long ago? And he even yeah, right. warned with Bulldog as an example. He he warned us all about that. I just don't get like, 
to, to your point, you know, have him beat a Saturday night jobber or whatever. That's fine. But let's build Bulldog up a little bit. Like there's some other heels in the middle of this card that he can work with. Totally. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, they turned a lot of them face. So it is what it is. But there's other guys here that he can work with on the way there. And and you can kind of build him up slowly instead of this immediate. Oh, I'm coming after you, Vader. Oh, well, cool. You just got here four minutes ago. I don't understand how you deserve that. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, you know, use him to build up other titles, too. Like have him win the TV title or U.S. championship, whatever it is. And we talked about Rick Rude earlier. It, you know, we still don't really know where he is on his injury recovery, mm-hmm. but that wouldn't have been a bad way to go is Bulldog and Rick. Rude. I like that idea. That's another overlap we don't see too much of. If at all, actually, I don't know if they've ever been in the ring together. Need an extra dose of positivity in your wrestling podcasts? Well, come join me, Alan Forel, over in the Pro Rest Paradise at Peter Torch VIP as we bask on the bright side of wrestling and focus on some of the great matches and shows from around the world, be it the US, Japan, Europe, or Mexico. There's always a place for wrestling's past in the Paradise too, and we've done fun historical shows such as the We Love Liger series, celebrating the glorious career of Jushin Thunder Liger, and our I Was There When shows, where a guest will join me to talk about a classic bout that they were in attendance for. We love variety, and you can expect lots of it at the Pro Rest Paradise. Detailed PWF Torch VIP subscription information and a list of all the VIP benefits is available at pwtorchvipinfo.com. And yes, all VIP podcasts are compatible with popular podcast apps on iPhone and Android devices. Or you can stream them directly from our ad-free VIP mobile site. See you in the paradise. Uh, This next one, one of the best matches on the card, in my opinion. Cactus Jack defeats Paul Orndorff in a, what would you call this? A Falls Cat Anywhere? A street fight? A hardcore match? I don't know what this is. Yes, I think street fight's a good term. I don't remember if, was it literally Falls Count Anywhere? I I assume. Oh, because... yeah, it does, say, it does say Falls Count Anywhere in the description here. Okay, good. So, they, yeah. they did, like, make attempts on the floor, so I assume. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So this gets four stars by Wade. I loved it as well. This is like one of those. Wow. This this match happened and it's really good type things. Um, I loved even the way they started it. Did you not love how Orndorff was getting interviewed right behind the curtain? And so he's not even, you know, visible to the fans. But then Cactus just attacks him and they both like burst through the uh, the curtain, basically. And that's oh, how it started. That. Love Absolutely that. loved it. This felt like a late 90s Attitude Era match um, in a good way. Like when I say late, I'm actually probably like 97. So where it was like more raw and gritty versus like, you know, overproduced. Like that's what like, this felt like for me. Like Cactus and Hunter from that raw yeah. MSG. Yeah, that's a great yeah. example. Yep. And the one thing about Orndorff here, he doesn't feel like he's past his prime in any way to me like this. For some reason, this type of um, the match just made me feel like he was relevant again. And it was just a weird it just like everything fell into place really nicely. Um, 
the one move that I call I'm calling out is the uh, the sunset flip that Cactus does from the top as actually the middle rope to the outside. It was totally unnecessary and ridiculous. He he sunset flips um, Orndorff, but it, the the mat was removed, so he just lands on concrete. It was like totally unnecessary. Um, no wonder he's what is he his career is done in like six and a half years after this. Oh yeah. Uh, the other classic move here is when Cactus gets Irish whipped. We talked about the um, the dual entrances, like the way the barricades are set up. So there's so many barricades that uh, Cactus gets Irish whipped and he like flips over two and tumbles to the ground. That was a cool visual, too. Um, so between Bulldog's debut, Flair coming back, Cactus being super over, all of a sudden, WCW has a, a crop of main, of, uh, not just main event baby faces, but like it feels a f- like a fresh crop of main event baby faces. So I thought that was great. Uh, last comment: um, the shovel spot ending was awesome. Tony Schiavone called it really well. He has his like high pitched, like excitement in his voice, which I love about him. Um, so that was that was just a great great match. It only lasts like what under thirteen minutes, I think. Um, so it's a quick one, but it's it's a good one. So I did skip a part, but there was uh, Johnny B. Bad and Missy Hyatt in the back before this. And I just wanted to bring up that Johnny B. Bad blows her off when she tries to talk to him. So Johnny B. Bad feels the same way about Missy Hyatt as I do. That's why you guys like, you know, get along so well. You like them. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I I had the same note about Cactus chasing Orndorff to the ring. Uh, I really liked that. Um, you brought up the bump on the, the concrete, like cactus just takes the bump himself. And then like 30 seconds after the fact, Orndorff like decides to topple over and yes. take the move. like, it's very, very awkward. <laughs> uh, the problem that I had with this and it's, it's a good brawl, but the, the problem is, is that cactus just kind of gets his ass kicked the whole time. And Orndorff actually looks really good in this. And you kind of forget that he's older, mm-hmm. I guess is the best way I could put it. And he hasn't been as relevant in a little bit. Yeah, it's been a few years. I think he's I, I remember looking it up during when I was taking the notes uh, for this. I think he's 44. Oh, OK, so if we if we use the Bob Backlund scale, he's ancient. Got it. He's yeah, he's past his prime, but not for WCW. <laughs> so. That is a positive. You liked the finish more than I did. I kind of thought it was kind of out of nowhere and anticlimactic after the build of the whole match. I'll take it because of what we talked about a little bit ago with the need to elevate some of the younger guys over some of the older guys on the roster. This is a perfect example of that. So I'll take the actual finish that we got, even though... I, I would have preferred that instead of Cactus getting beat up and then picking up a shovel and hitting him in the face, he had like hit a series of moves or something. Sure. I don't sure. know. It was like a heel ending for a baby face, which I just thought was kind of weird. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it does go. It, it aligns with his character pretty well, though, and the match style. Um, oh, for sure. I want to go back to the the beginning yet. I don't know if you're done with your notes, but just real quick. I, I just think that 
what these guys did and how because we we talked we saw them really get it on in the um, Clash uh, Thunderdome cage, right? Like that's where this feud was like boiling over. So there's something happening here, and I think like more feuds these days should start. You know, the the big match, the big payoff match should start this way, where they they just have to get at each other and beat the hell out of each other. And I just think there's so many matches and like i don't know there's almost all there's i would say rare exception where a match starts where these guys have a big feud right take to whatever names you're thinking in your head where they just attack each other from the start it doesn't happen that much yeah unfortunately it's too it's too often now that we have big heated feud both guys hate each other and they start the match with a lockup or a test of strength yeah like yeah because that's what would happen right exactly no, I agree. And you brought up before the the bunch of baby faces they have now. Isn't it funny that, I don't know, six months ago, seven months ago, we talked about them having the opposite problem where they had a bunch of heels mm-hmm. and no baby faces. And now, it, and now they've tipped the scales in the opposite direction where they have all these baby faces and no heels. Like, why are they never balanced? I know. I mean, I think the, the, the most obvious heels Vader, but yeah, I mean, Rude's been out and yeah, that's about it. Yeah, their other he their number three heel before was Cactus. Right, right. And, and he was super over here. That's for sure. The only other one I could think of is Barry Windham. Oh, as a heel. Yeah, he, he has to be considered because he's, uh, you know, main event level. And I can't wait to talk a little bit about him too soon. I got a few thoughts. Well, we're getting there, but we have a couple first. Uh, Rock and Roll Express defeat the Heavenly Bodies. Go ahead. Yeah, this is fun. I mean, just to see Cornette come back, it's like he never left the promotion. He was his old self, which I guess shouldn't be shocking. Um, It is funny, though, not to be too spoiler here, but uh, cover your ears if you don't want to hear this. He's about to be in this promotion and later this year also in the WWF. So that's kind of cool. Um, there was a really cool spot. There's a crisscross spot where uh, Lane took out Cornette. It was just like a corny criss, uh, crisscross. And then all of a sudden, um, Cornette finds his way into the ring and gets knocked out. That was really good. Um, Stan Lane. I don't know. Maybe it was his haircut or something. He just looked like a guy who was just sitting in the front row two matches before, and now he's in the ring wrestling. He just doesn't have the look about him. <laughs> I think his the '80s version of him was fine, but for some reason here in '93, I think he's he should be a WWF announcer by now. Um, this was fine. I don't have anything terribly positive or negative. Um, I don't think it's one you should have. You have to go out of your way to see. It does feel like it's missing like a second gear or something, though. But that's pretty so, much it. It's interesting you say that that last part. So apparently, and this actually goes to the Scorpio and Benoit match earlier. According to Wade, there was a lot of stuff they wanted to do in this one that they were told to cut out of the match. Okay, okay. In order to not show up the main events. Um and again, apparently that happened with Scorpio and Benoit also, where they were told to turn it down a little bit. Um, so just to throw that out there, that is part of, to me, 
probably why you feel that way about it missing a second gear. It has to be. Is I, I missed that note. Yeah, that's allowed good. to do that. That makes a lot of sense then. Otherwise, you brought up uh, that Stan Lane looks like a guy that came out of the front row. It looks like uh, Ricky and Robert came over from the nursing home. They're like 70 here. Dude, they're only in their late 30s. I know. Because I thought the same thing. Like, they perpetually look really, really old. Talk about these. These might be the perfect examples of guys that once the 90s hit, they look ancient. Like from a completely different era. And it's it's crazy to think about because you're right. They are so young and they they like work and dress and act like young guys, which actually may make them seem older than they are also because they're stuck yeah. in a time warp. But anyway, remember when we started the podcast, we were covering. Um, uh, I can't think of his name now. Um, No, uh, Morton, Ricky Morton. Sorry, he, Richard Morton. He was he was like the kind of the tailored made man um, offshoot oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of Terry Taylor, yeah. Terrence Taylor. Yeah. yeah with um, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, I thought his look there. I mean, he tried to change his look a little bit. I mean, I guess it didn't age very well. But if you compare the two, I mean, I think he had a better idea about him at that point just to kind of change what he was. But now he's reverted right back to uh, rock and roll. I agree, but the rock and roll thing was the only way he was going to make any money. I think he figured that out quick. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. I thought it was fun for what it was. Old school style match. Uh, The only thing that I have is that Tom Pritchard is better than I remember him being. Oh, yeah, I think he's aged well. Like, I think a lot of people have uh, come on to him. Yeah. But that was it. Uh, again, this is fine. It's fun. But to your point, I wouldn't go out of your way to watch this. Um, it kind of is what it is. Agreed. Yeah. Next match on the card. Dustin Rhodes defeats Max Payne. So this is now the third time Max Payne's been on the pay-per-view. We didn't talk about there's another time at some point. Um, I don't know why this is the Max Payne pay-per-view all of a sudden. Uh, to me, this is the worst match of the night easily, which is a shame because Dustin, we we love Dustin, right? Like the way we've talked about him. Um, and Payne looks like an indie jobber to me. Like that's not an ideal person to have on your pay-per-view if you're really putting this guy over. He has terrible hair. He has like a fake looking. He's I guess they're trying to go for the grunge look, even though he's like a rocker. So I don't know what the heck they're doing with this gimmick. And then just like the way he's uh, dressed up, it just looks really, really poor. Like he just came off the uh, talk about Stanley in the front row. He was sitting in the back row here, Max Payne. He couldn't afford a a good ticket to this show. (laughs) It's funny you bring that up. My my first note was what's with this push for Max Payne? What do they see in this guy? Like, is there something that I'm missing? You're not missing anything. I have no idea. I mean, I guess one of the things, you know, they're short on heels, like we just said, maybe this is just an answer trying to answer that question. 
Yeah, that's that's the wrong bubble to fill in on the multiple choice. <laughs> to WCW, that's probably the only bubble. <laughs> Their multiple the, choice has one answer. On top of all of that, the finish is terrible. Um, Payne like pulls the referee in front of himself or something and gets disqualified somehow. So they're going out of their way to protect Max Payne so he doesn't take a loss from Dustin Rhodes. Like uh, the whole thing is just silly. And you're you're right. This is easily the worst match on this show. As a reminder, too, this was supposed to be Dustin versus Ron Simmons, who's injured. So that's kind of why this is in here. But that's not a that's not an uh, excuse by any means. Well, not only that, but like Dustin and Ron Simmons, what were we going to get out of that? Like babyface right. versus babyface match, probably also with no finish. Yeah, probably. They probably would have worked a similar match, at least the ending. You're right. The only the only caveat to that is I'm curious if they would go to this road, go down this road is to make Simmons a heel. I don't know, but I know that was rumored in previous issues. That that's probably the best thing you could do at this point, and it kind of would help some of the problem they have on the heel side. right? Mm -hmm. I think that would have been a wise move. So we know how Simmons is as a heel before this and then, of course, after this in WWF. So. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Did you know we also have a website? PWTorch.com. Daily news updates, editorials, and my live TV coverage covering Raw, Dynamite, and SmackDown, and my live pay-per-view coverage for WWE and AEW. Create a tab or bookmark, make it a daily stop, visit us throughout the day every day to keep up on breaking news and more. That's PWTorch.com. So next up is the Ric Flair interview. Uh, go for it. Yeah, um, <clears throat> it was a really good reaction to start, but I don't know. I'm going to ask you, did you think otherwise it was a little underwhelming? Like, I thought it would be maybe more sustained or bigger. I just don't know if it was just me. Um, yeah, I mean, the problem is, is that it's not like Flair was off TV for like six months. Like, obviously... A lot of these people probably followed Flair to WWF, so they were just watching him. It's nice to have him back in their quote-unquote home promotion, mm -hmm. but it's not like the guy was totally gone for a while. You know what I mean? So it's not really the same thing. That's fair. I hadn't really thought about that because I've always kind of thought about the fan base as being very unique. And I think to, to a large degree they were. But of course, you know, to your point about people following Flair specifically like that, that could certainly be. And that's what it is, is. Yeah. People may have hated the WWF, but they like Ric Flair. And it's not like Flair went over there and was jobbed out and treated like a joke. So once people figured that out, I would assume they were watching to see Ric Flair again. Could be totally wrong, but it's just kind mm -hmm. of a feeling that I get. Yeah. Um, this was fine, though. I, I didn't I, I thought it was generally lame. I mean, I guess it was I don't know if I had higher hopes than I should have. Um, the one thing that I did like after the interview itself, when he gets on commentary because he joins commentary for this next match, um, Jesse and himself and he, you know, per take take time to purposely or, or, you know, to call out the fact that they've never worked together before. And uh, 
in any capacity. So that was kind of cool. Uh, yeah, I agree. So it's it's funny that you bring up him being on commentary because I actually the only note I have on this whole part before we get to the actual match is. Can you please explain to me why he's back on in WCW, but commentating for the NWA world title match? Well, that goes back to uh, first. I cannot answer that because I, I, it goes back to the fact that they're confusing their own audience with these two titles. What is the value of the NWA title at this point? And I'm glad you said that because the other part that I brought up and, and we're going to talk about it when we get to the end of the match, but we'll do this part now. It doesn't make any sense for the NWA title, but it is what it is. It, it illustrates all of the conversations that we've had previously about the physical belt. And the reason is, the other little weird looking thing that uh, Vader's carrying around isn't flares and never was. Correct. Yep. Yep. And, and you're dead on. They're confusing the audience and this is making it worse. Yeah, it, it, it's very strange. And correct me if I'm wrong. Has this NWA revival title even it, it hasn't been held by an American. It doesn't have to be an American, but like a non-Japanese wrestler, meaning this this has been a pr- primary New Japan title for aside from a few pay-per-view defenses on WCW, right? Yeah. And I think up to this point, the only person we've seen that actually works for WCW that's wrestled for it is Rick Root. Right. Yep. Yeah. Most consistent person wrestling for it. So yeah, it's, it's major confusion. Just, it's very odd. And it's just a weird situation because you have Flair making his triumphant return to WCW only to focus on the NWA World Heavyweight title. So what promotion does Flair work for again? <laughs> well, if you're tuning in for the first time, you you have no idea. But I thought WCW. Anyway, let's get to the actual match. Um, Barry Windham defeated the Great Muda to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. So this was not the worst match, but it was the most boring one. Um, <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I was checked out by this one by this time. Uh, I was ready for the next one after this, but I was completely checked out. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I have no interest in Barry Windham at this stage. Anything post like 1989 or 90, I, like I just don't care about the guy. Um, I, I, I'm sorry to say, I'm actually not sorry to say it's just it's just boring. Um, if we saw this match like five years earlier, fine, it would have been cool. And like I love Mood, I think he's great, but I just I just thought this was kind of a there was nothing inherently wrong with it. I just thought it was kind of a clash of styles, and it ended up just not piquing my interest at all. The best part of the match was the post-match segment with, um, you know, Barry Windham wins the title here. It takes 24, ag- you know, grueling minutes, like agonizing. Um, Flair comes in, fastens the belt to Windham, and then he gives him a really cool stare down for a little while. So that was a nice little tease. And it's cool because those two have history together, too. So there's something there that was intriguing. But other than that, I was I was tapped out. So 
my first note was, I'm sorry, but this bored me to tears. Um, to your Barry Windham comment, what's funny about you saying that is I feel like I've heard before that his 1993 is really good. Um, whatever I heard that on or whoever told me that, uh, so far, we're a couple pay-per-views in. I don't agree with you. So mm-hmm. I hope the mm-hmm. rest of his 93 is better. So I know what you're talking about. Anyway, um, with that said, uh, Great Muda's gear is really, really cool. Don't know if you caught that. I did. It was a white and red, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, <clears throat> just to bring this up, we said that Lethal Lottery was a waste of time. We were incorrect because these guys were actually partners and were the finalists in the battle royal at the end. So we were all wrong. Lethal Lottery was long-term booking. Who would have thought? Oh, I'm sorry. I I didn't say that sarcastically enough. They clearly did not do any of that on purpose. (laughs) No, of course not. That was a complete happy accident. Absolutely. I actually liked the finish of this. It You brought up the agonizing 24 minutes. When they mentioned at the beginning that this had an hour time limit, I my immediate reaction to that was, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. Um, again, you're right. The best moment was the end with Ric Flair. Uh, Flair comes into the ring and actually fastens the belt on Wyndham. Wyndham turns around, realizes it's Flair and freaks out. Again, none of this makes any sense because it's for the NWA title. Um, But again, we talked about that before. Um, Just very confusing from that standpoint. But there is some somewhat of an interest in a Flair and Wyndham feud down the road. Yeah, it's funny you said it's somewhat confusing because it made me think of I think the title situation gets even more confusing later this year, if not maybe early 94. Um, Just with the name change that's coming. So not to spoil too much. Yeah, I know. It gets worse before it gets better, basically. Unfortunately, you're right. So next, the main event, Vader defeats Sting in a White Castle of Fear strap match that is unsanctioned by WCW. Before you go, I just want to bring up how much I hate calling things unsanctioned. Um, Yes, the match is unsanctioned by WCW, but we put it on pay-per-view to make money off of it. I couldn't agree more. I think it's silly. AEW does something. They call it a lights-out match. That's they the, use that term here, by the way. Do they really? Okay. Yes. Um, but the 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 one thing that AEW has done is like, and I think this is a a trick that another promoter did back, you know, years ago. I, I don't even know who it would be, but I I think I've heard this, where they'll have the announcer come out and say, you know, Justin Roberts, like, okay, now it's unsanctioned, and then like the lights will dim to to like. A note for the audience that the regular show uh, has ended and this unsanctioned match is about to begin. It's like a small production trick that's at least signifying a little bit 
that it's different. But anyway, just a side note. Um, While you're on that topic, didn't AEW do one, though, for the world title or the women's title? No, it was uh, one of the, the the one you're probably thinking of. One of the participants was the women's champion, but it was not for the title. Okay, so same as this. Got it. Yeah. Got it, yeah. got it. So I love this match. I think it's great. I, I hate strap matches, though. I just think the gimmick of a strap match, as far as touching the corners, is so stupid compared to the <laughs> the severity of using a strap to whip the hell out of somebody. Like, it doesn't... It's like counterbalancing the whole thing like let me whip the hell out of you let me just touch my pinky on this turnbuckle in the meantime it's so silly um that aside this was great i love it it's just a bloody mess vader is so bloody by the end of it um his back is you know filled with uh welts from the strap it's great Uh, i'm actually kind of surprised this match doesn't get talked about in history as much as it it should or does i don't know something about this you would think like this classic like he did battle um, might get more play or more, um, uh, you know, callbacks than it does. Uh, it did feel like kind of a mid 80s. Speaking of the NWA, kind of like that era of a, of a battle. Um, I liked putting Vader over here uh, and, and I have a note here. I actually forgot that it wasn't for the title, but but still just having him go over here cleanly. I think just solidifies him as a dominant champion and and having a heel champ at the top is just like, I just like that, especially because we talked about all of the, the stronger baby faces that they're building elsewhere and like the new faces that are, that are coming into the promotion. And I'm, I'm including flair as a new face just because he's fresh again in the eyes of the fans. Um, so I like this a lot. This gets my double thumbs up. Um, I probably is my match of the night. I loved Cactus and Orndorff, though, but I think this gets the win just because I can go back to this over and over again. Yeah, totally agree with that part. Um, We're actually more in sync than I thought we would be. I thought we might argue about the strap match thing, but I think this is the dumbest thing ever. And and just to kind of expound on your point and and add to it a little bit. So there's no rules, right? So logically... You say, like, whip them, but why wouldn't I just take the strap and choke the guy out? And then I realize, oh, that would be super dumb because then I have to drag his lifeless body to all the four corners. And he is now (laughs) even heavier because he's unconscious because I beat him up. Like, that's the part of the logic that bothers me. Mm. Nah, that makes I mean, yeah, when you say it that way, absolutely. That's and that goes back to my you're beating the hell out of each other and then you have to touch corners of the ring who like that just goes against the brutality of the match. It's so dumb. They do one of these in the WWF later. I I don't remember which one it is. I have one in mind, but I don't know if I'm right. But they do this later where they're strapped together and the logic is is the same of the match, but it's actually you can win by pinfall or submission. You just happen That's to be fine. strapped to the other guy. That's and that fine. is slightly better. Yeah. Yeah. I, is it the I Eddie JBL one or no? Oh, maybe. But this, the one I'm thinking of is earlier. It's either Rockin' and Billy Gunn or Rockin' Hunter. Oh, okay. Okay. The reason I don't remember who his opponent is is because the other one is involved in the finish. 
So I don't remember uh, who the rock. I, I think he loses to one of them, but I'm not yeah. confident which one it is because the other one again causes the finish. Got it. Um, anyway, how many WCW pay-per-views have we covered where it's a match between a champion and a challenger and the title isn't on the line? Well, yeah, great point. This is at least two and stings in both of them. It was last year with uh, Cactus, right? In include other titles. Oh, okay. Well, then I'm going to lose count. I don't even know. Because and and specifically in main event situations. Yeah, we had um, a Steiners against Gordy and Williams. Okay, that yeah, wasn't yeah. for the tag titles. We had Rick Rude and Rick Steamboat, which wasn't for the U.S. title. And that was a great match. The Iron Man. Yeah. Yep. And then we have the two with Sting that you just mentioned. So we have at least four and we won't count Battle Bowl with uh, Luger and Sting. But if you count that. We're at five, and we've only covered a year's worth of WCW pay-per-views. So there's right. almost one a show. That's so strange. That's like the equivalent to WWF changing titles on house shows. Yeah, At least they're I, having like title matches on pay-per-views. WCW won't even do that. Man, I, did, I didn't realize it. When you kind of pan out and, like, and think of it like that, that's, that's brutal. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And most of them are main events. Yeah. So, again, generally, I, I hate the strap thing, but this is really good. Um, this is probably if this isn't the best strap match I've seen, it's at least the second. What other one comes to mind? Because I'm just curious. I I'd have to think about it. It's funny you brought up that Eddie and, J- and Jibble one. I think that's actually a bull bull rope. So I don't think uh, it's that exactly makes sense. Same. Yeah, that makes sense. But um, that's good. I hate Jibble, but that. Oh, that, I hate him. My favorite Jibble match. Um, yeah, I never heard anyone call him that. That's pretty good. What? That's what it says. I know. I know. <laughs> that one is good. And I feel like. I feel like I've seen like an old school one, like with Funk and Lawler or something, but maybe I'm mixing that up with their I quit. Like, I feel like I've seen something like that that I really liked, but I just don't remember. Yeah. And now that you put it that way, I don't even know what other ones come to mind. I mean, I'm trying I'm trying to you can't equate these to dog collar matches because that's certainly different. Similar, but different. Yeah, and then you have the bull rope thing, because I think Dusty had some of those, too. Yeah, he did. He did. So anyway. Um, it's it's really good, though. It's really, really good. I actually like the end, and, and this gets brought up by one of the columnists, so I won't take full credit for this. But it, it's interesting, because when you hear the titles not on the line, I said, oh, well, Sting's going to win. That's, yeah, that's cool yeah. and mm-hmm. stupid. But he doesn't and that was really cool i was very happy to see that they didn't go that direction to your point um i i think both of us have made very clear on the show that we're very much so in favor of heel champions which is funny because both of us grew up mostly wwf fans (laughs) that's right but anyway searching for more great pro wrestling talk then join me jason powell host of the free weekly pro wrestling boom podcast 
Each week, you'll hear the latest news and analysis from me and my team at ProWrestling.net along with other Pro Wrestling Media members. Plus, the Pro Wrestling Boom podcast features long-form interviews with notable names in the pro wrestling industry. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, and all your favorite secondary apps, or visit us directly at pwboom.com. Once again, that's pwboom.com. Um, well, real quick, I do give them credit for giving Vader the win one because he's the active champion, even though it wasn't for the title. But also to your point about them not them having a lot of matches on pay-per-views that are not for titles. You, I think I don't know off all the ones you mentioned, if all the non-champions ended up winning those. But I think the fact that they booked it this way was a nice little I don't say swerve, but like, you know, maybe a swerve. You think going in, oh, it's not a title, Sting's going to win, but no, that didn't happen. Yeah, to your point, I think I think the only one that was won by the op- the champion was Sting. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. That we talked about. Yeah. Um, the other ones, I do think that you're right. They were won by the, the non-champion. But anyway, um, the only other thing I had, so after the match, Sting flips out and attacks Vader. So I just wanted to ask you if Sting recently graduated from the Hulk Hogan school for sore losers. <laughs> Which is funny because they, they haven't worked together yet, have they? So I don't know if he's just watching WWF TV. Maybe he just watched the Rumble in 92, not too long before this match. They They should not have done that. Oh, I agree. I think that's a terrible way to book your baby face. Oh, do you want to get into the columnist reviews or do you want to do your review first for, as far as the score goes? Um, well, real quick, just a short um, note on the post match. It does say in, in Way's wrap up here, Vader bled heavily, which we talked about, bled from the ear and was hospitalized, but re- was released later that night. And then this one got a four and a half. And it went about just over 20 minutes. Um, yeah, overall, I really liked the show. I didn't have a lot of nitpick. I mean, it always seems to come off that we're nitpicking a lot, but I think it's just like the, the easiest thing to talk about is like what we didn't like. Um, I gave this I'm thinking I'm going to give this an eight and a half. Like this was really good. There's at least two matches on here that are just like go go and watch tomorrow or today if you can. And that's the main event. And then, of course, Cactus and Orndorff. And then even like the other matches that aren't that great, like the opener, Austin and Pillman do a great job. They work really hard. That's fun. Um, Bulldog over Irwin sucked, but at least you get to see like Bulldog and WCW. That's kind of like just an interesting thing to go back and watch. Um, the worst thing on the show is Max Payne, but you know, sadly you get three times of him. So I don't know. You have to deal with that a little bit, but no, overall, I I like this show. You like it a lot more than me. I'm going with a seven and a half. Well, not terrible though. We're not like, you know, on different spectrums. No, there's just Max Payne, Missy Hyatt. The the stupidity of not having the title on the line in the main event, especially when you're going to have the champion win anyway. I I just don't care for that. If if you're not going to have it's funny because we we, you know, kind of said it was the right thing to have Vader win, even with the conventional wisdom saying that Sting's going to win. But if he's going to win anyway, make it a title match. 
Do you think, and just bear with me here, this logic may not make sense. Do you think in some weird twisted, like thinking WCW thought if the title's not on the line, it's better to have Vader win anyway and not like Sting does. Does Sting somehow not look as bad by losing a nine title match? Uh, you got to convoluted gymnastics but, to get there. But right? yeah, okay. I mean, I guess based on the fact that there's 16 people on this booking committee, something tells me that they had 15 different finishes for this anyway. Probably. Um. It's just those just those things hurt this for me. Like, honestly, if this is a title match and we get rid of the Missy Hyatt, I, it's an easy I'm probably closer to you on the eight and a half. Yeah, wow. She she um, took this down a notch by one whole point, huh? Pretty close. I mean, hmm. that and and the combination of her and Max Payne is is a big part of it if you get rid of one of those elements i can kind of put up with it a little bit more yeah but then both on the same show it's i don't like it That's and then fair. on top of that you have the complete boring waste of 25 minutes with Wyndham and muda yeah that was awful that was really bad it, which is a shame because again those two guys in and of themselves are great workers historically and um ironically muda as we record finally retired just last week Jeez. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that's that's a good call out, too. Uh, from the columnist, Mark Madden with an eight, Bruce Mitchell with an eight, Chris Savisa with a seven and a half, Carly Gill with a nine and Wade Keller with an eight and a half. The Torch Readers came in with an average score of seven point eight. I will read Wade does have a quick synopsis in here and he gave us a little more than he normally does. So I'll roll through that really quick here. He says an eight and a half, the new WCW administration had as encouraging a start as any new management team has, even without Ric Flair's energetic return, this would have been a strong show. It is tough to list negatives on a show this good, but here are five things that could have made this show a perfect 10. Number one, Allow the bodies in the Express to do what they planned to do originally, rather than ordering them not to do certain things. It turned out okay, but could have been over four stars with a few more minutes and free reign. Number two, pay Barry Windham on a per-star basis. Same with Muda. <laughs> I love that. All right, go ahead. Sorry. Both of these two super talents have been disappointments lately. Allow Scorpio and Benoit to do their dives. If they are willing to thrill the crowd with high-risk moves, let them. Be secure enough with your top talent that a few dives won't steal the show or, quote, expose the business. Real quick, just pausing real quick. Those last two, I swear I didn't read this. This, And you, you and I have hit on all these points so far tonight. Exactly. And this yeah. one little section I, I did not read. I'm surprised I didn't read it, but I didn't. Number four. Replace Ron Simmons with Ricky Steamboat instead of Max Payne. A good job was done establishing Payne as a major WCW player, but by the end of the match, it was apparent he is lacking main event skills. You don't say. Yeah. Um. Am I am I being ridiculous here? Did Steamboat not get on this card? Okay, I see number five. Wade's about to talk about that, so maybe just go with that. Yeah, there you go. Um, or get Steamboat on the card. 
team him with Douglas, who, quote, re-injures his knee right away in the match. So Steamboat has to defend the tag team titles himself against Pillman and Austin. But perhaps WCW wanted to save the tag title match for the house shows, and that may be a smart move. But this card could have been talked about for years if one more four-star match was added. Notwithstanding Fair those point. humble suggestions, there was not much wrong with the card, and there was a lot right about it. If this is a sign of things to come, look for a successful reign from Ole Anderson, Dusty Rhodes, Eric Bischoff, and the gang. With Flair against Wyndham, more of Sting against Vader, Steamboat and Douglas against Austin and Pillman, Flair versus Vader, the potential for Austin and Pillman against Hawk and Sasaki, and more solid matches, WCW is worth watching. I didn't even think about this until this was brought up, and I feel weird about saying it or admitting it, but I they didn't have a tag title match, and they didn't have Steamboat on the card. Nope. And we get stuck with Eric Watts yet again, and somehow Buff Bagwell makes it on. Well, Marcus Bagwell. I so. think that, that Wade's alluding to the fact that I, I think that um, Shane Doug, excuse me, Shane Douglas is injured, maybe legitimately. Yeah. Which would explain that. Yeah. But again, to his point, there's ways around that. Sure, sure. It does sound like that's what he's getting at. Yeah. Strange, strange. uh, I think putting him in with Dustin is would have been, I mean, beautiful. It would have solved so many problems. It would even alleviate if we were still stuck with Max Payne playing the guitar. Like, that's fine. At least he can play the guitar better than Russell. So, like, I'll I'll give him that, but give me Steamboat any day. Yeah, and I'll take two segments with him over three. Absolutely. And again, that gets back to my point before is, you know, we have six nothing segments with him and Missy Hyatt. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's that's fair. I mean, I guess Missy Hyatt doesn't bother me as much um, as she does, obviously, for you. But we definitely agree on the Max Payne thing. All right. Below the bottom line, Mark Madden's motives have been questioned. Wade said that he has read and heard several topics in the last week related to the way Watts left WCW. They include the below along with responses from Wade. Mark Madden was wrong to get Bill Watts fired. Wade clarifies that clarifies that Watts resigned after WCW asked him to. No one got him fired. Madden contacted Hank Aaron to explore the discrepancy with how Major League Baseball reacted to Mark's shot versus seeing Aaron shake hands with Watts. Wade says that Watts' comments were more extreme than shots. He says Madden did what any good journalist would do, and that is explore what is going on with the situation. Atlanta Constitution and the New York Post were both aware of the comments by Watts and were planning to run the quotes at upcoming editions. It wasn't just Madden causing a fuss by himself. You can interject whenever you want here. I'm just going to try to run. Through yeah, this. no worries. Yeah, no, no, no need for me. The torch hated Watts and tried to get him fired. Wade said every person in the torch has unique and individual takes and they don't all think the same. You've hated Watts ever since he broke off communications with the Sheets. Wade said that isn't true, and the last time they talked was when they discussed contracts. Watts got mad at the conversation, but never vowed to break off communication. Wade says he chose not to call Watts for info or quotes because he 
He felt like Watts wasn't being truthful. He said Watts never failed to return any calls Wade made to him. Wade says he would honestly criticize Watts when they talked, which Watts did not like. Watts has a right to speak his mind, and firing him goes against the right to free speech. Wade recounts the words and phrases Watts used. He said it was up to TBS to decide what to do with Watts based on those comments. TBS has yet to officially comment on the departure. TBS had the right to fire him and had it in his contract. They could do so if he made any disparaging remarks that would damage the reputation of TBS. Watts resigned without any severance or settlement on his six-figure contract. If Madden didn't dislike Watts so much, he would have never faxed Aaron the interview. He was trying to get revenge. Wade likes to think that Madden would have still faxed the interview to Aaron, even if Watts ended up being the savior for WCW. He said other papers would have still covered the story if Madden didn't take action. Wade stands by the way Madden handled the situation and is willing to listen to counter arguments as long as people read this statement. One of the things that I took away from this was he could have easily, Wade, that is, could have easily been reading tweets in this current era and everything else would have been the same. Like, I just felt like it was like, man, I guess a lot of the things we complained about with a lot of people and their opinions and, you know, negativity towards the media definitely exists back then just as much, just in a different platform. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, we kind of touched on our, our feelings on the subject uh, last week. So I don't know how much we need to get into it here, but it, it's a great point that you make where now it's just kind of a different way of doing things mm-hmm. as opposed to here. But again, we, we talked in depth about Mark Madden and the situation regarding Hank Aaron uh, in last week's issue. So I don't know if we need to rehash a lot of that right now. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't feel the need to really as much either. I think it's just interesting and probably, you know, important for Wade to be able to, combat some of these things and that was the gist of what he was getting at like all the the feedback or the questions or the um suggestions of the torch having something to do with this or kind of colluding in a way even though that word's not used um you know i just think he he certainly had a stand up for himself and of course the publication so i'm ready for a preview for next week if you are yeah, let's do it. All right. Headline news story. Carrie Von Eric benefit. The GWF holding a benefit for Carrie's daughters in Dallas in April. Also, a torch talk with Dirty Dutch Mantel on Smoky Mountain and his career in pro wrestling. A torch special feature with readers analysis of Super Brawl 3. Below the bottom line, examines the future of WCW after Super Brawl 3. And Rita Rhetoric looks back on Kerry Von Erich and Bill Watts' departure from WCW. All right, Patrick. If you don't have anything else, where can everybody find you on the torch and otherwise? Yeah, so thanks, Alex. I'm on the torch every Friday evening covering AEW Rampage. This week will be live as they uh, head into the pay-per-view weekend for Revolution, so looking forward to that. And uh, of course, this paper, uh, excuse me, this podcast with you every 
comes drops on Fridays every Friday. Also, um, 90s Passcast, please give us a shout on um, on our email, Gmail at torchpasscast at gmail.com. And of course, I'm Alex McDonald, the alt perspective reporter for SmackDown every Friday night on PW Torch, right alongside Wade Keller. And that's it for us this week. We will talk to everybody next week right here on the 90s Passcast. Have a good one. Now you can subscribe to our VIP podcast lineup within the Apple Podcast app using your Apple account. That's new as of March 2022. Just search PW Torch in your Apple Podcast app and you'll see the PW Torch Daily Cast logo show up. That's our free show that's been around forever. And also the PW Torch VIP Podcast logo. There is a free show every week, so subscribe even if you don't plan to go VIP and get a sample of our VIP tier programming. But if you click subscribe, then you'll become a VIP member instantly with a three-day free trial, after which your Apple account will be charged. So you don't need to take out your credit card, debit card, or go anywhere else. If you listen to our free shows on Apple Podcasts, you are five seconds away from being a VIP member with a three-day free trial. So we invite you to check it out. That includes dozens of VIP shows throughout the week, including VIP versions of the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling post shows and podcasts and daily casts. All those episodes are presented to VIP members with ads and plugs removed, along with VIP exclusives like our post-pay-per-view roundtables, the Wade Keller Hotline, The Fix with Todd and Wade, everything with Rich and Wade, and many other VIP exclusive shows. Just search PW Torch within the Apple Podcasts app. It is not too late to make a New Year's resolution, even if it's no longer the time when people are saying Happy New Year, especially if you're looking to get fit and have nutrient-dense food that's going to give you energy without a bunch of sugar, salt, fat, and processed stuff that just doesn't serve your body well. And one way to do that is with home delivery of Factor chef-prepared meals. Fuel up fast with ready-to-eat nutritious meals delivered straight to your door, leaving you time and energy to tackle everything on your to-do list and you don't have to cook before you settle in to watch wrestling during the week. Achieve and maintain your 2023 goals with Factor. It is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Start saving time, eating well, and living your best year yet. You've heard me talk about these before, I suspect, and I order Factor meals on my own, whether they sponsor the show or not. I'm a believer in these meals. Sometimes I'm just too busy to cook, even though I like to cook. But I know when I'm eating good food, and it's so nice knowing those Factor meals are in the refrigerator, fresh, never frozen, with whole food, healthy ingredients, ready to be microwaved in just over two minutes, and I'm eating. I don't have to wait 45 minutes for delivery and pay a tip. And frankly, so often that delivered food is full of fat, it's deep fried. You're not going to get that with Factor meals. No matter your lifestyle, Factor has delicious flavor-packed meals to help you live life to the fullest. There's keto, calorie smart, 
vegan and veggie, and protein plus options on the menu each week. They are prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians. Each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. You don't have to calorie count or try to figure out how much protein or carbs you're getting. They balance it for you. With 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. I always look forward to hitting refresh on the Factor website and seeing the new date pop up for the meal plan a couple weeks out and selecting the meals that I want. You don't have to select meals. They will automatically send you their selection based on your prior selections, but you can customize it too. Get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes in the microwave. No prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash wade50. That's a new website and a new code this month. Head to factormeals.com slash wade50 and use code wade50 to get, this is clever, 50% off your first box. That's code wade50 to get 50% off at factormeals.com slash wade50. Treat your body right, give yourself more energy, and save time and money with Factor Meals and get 50% off with coupon code WADE50.